Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Happy New Year to one and all and... If my eyes do not deceive me, I believe I have the great honor and privilege of not only having, of course, the amazing Geometrics gentleman James Coburn, but I believe, ladies and gentlemen, sailors, airmen, and ships at sea, I believe we've also been joined by Eric Galco of Optimum Scouting. Am I correct? Hey, Bill. What's going oh, on? Happy New Year. Huzzah! Happy New Year. <laughs> Mr. Galco, this is a rare and unexpected honor. Um, I believe I first had the great pleasure, at the risk of sounding as old as I might be, of uh, having you, I think, six, was it six years ago the first time I got a chance to speak to you? It might be longer than that. Um, oh, you know, I, first, I first started doing, um, you know, Optimum Scouting was founded, like officially as an LLC seven years ago, been doing it before then, so it's been, it's been a while, but we've been together for a long time. Though. It's been a while. I must, I must say, I have been impressed, I have been pleased, and I am been very much satisfied to see the growth, of your personal growth, right? You've come a long way, but your organization uh, has become one of the more respected and successful in this industry. So well done, Eric Galco. Well, I appreciate that. I, just, I don't mean to crash. Um, I saw you guys were, were talking football here, and I, no, I only have about no, 15, you have minutes. a standing invitation. Um, <laughs> so, so I will make it quick because I know you, you don't have a lot of time. Declarations. Um, I'm old enough to remember because I'm a million years old when you literally had to quote unquote declare hardship, meaning submit actual documentation of something going on with your family in order to declare early. Uh, it only happened a handful of times between, well, the beginning of time in terms of professional football and the late 1970s. I mean, literally, you can count them on, on one hand. And then in the 80s, it picked up a little. And they finally moved away in, I think, 89, but don't quote me on that, when you no longer had to submit actual documents saying, you know, my mom lost a job, my dad has diabetes, or whatever. It used to be, you had, you know, then you could just, you know, declare. But even then, very few, even top, top prospects declared. But you saw in the early, a few did. But in the early 90s, it began to change a little bit, slowly but surely. Uh, Big Daddy Wilkinson, Dion, you know, sort of you saw more and more and more. And then now, you know, it's very common. So Yeah, I'm have, and I'll say that, too. I'll say that, you know, doing some research, you know, especially this year, and, and you know, we – Optimum Scouting does work with some players and help them decide if they should play for the draft or not. So doing this, I kind of have to go back and look historically, hey, who's coming out these years? And it's funny to go back even just to, you know, 2000 and before yes. when it's 20, 25 guys, and they're all right. the big names for the most part or a couple of obscure guys. You're like, what the hell? Right, two or three guys, their family was having some sort of problem or they just don't sure. like school or whatever. Sure. But it was mostly stud, stud hawk. Sure. And, and, right. and, now, and I will say nowadays it's, it's really important I think for everyone, 
whoever is listening kind of know in the draft area, especially Bull Young in the draft area, to wonder why is this guy coming out, what are they going after, and, you know, talking to a lot of these kids, you never really know. When I always look back, I remember, I think it was probably five years ago now, um, a running back by the name of Alvester Alexander from Wyoming. Yes, Wyoming, Running back, yes. declared, declared for the draft, and and everyone, you know, that was kind of when Twitter, I think, was first starting to get bigger in terms yep. of, you know, kind of more being on it, and everyone was kind of crushing this kid. Just I think it was just a poor day for that kid to declare, and people were just like, what the hell is this guy thinking? So I reached out to him, I talked to him, and they told me, you know, a sob story that I'm sure a lot of players have at the college level of there's no father in his life, his mom is in the hospital, his brother had a medical issue as well, and, and he told me, point blank, he said, if I'm on a practice squad, that's going to help medical bills. Just practice squad alone, if I make it for, for one year, that'll help me pay for my bills. I, I, I check about him once in a while, I think he's in the CFL now, or was on a practice squad for a little while, but always important to keep in mind those kind of things. But, but right. yeah, it's, you know, it's to the point now, you know, really since about five years ago when, you know, even five, six years ago, you can kind of keep pace with it. Now it's like I wake up and I got to like, all right, like, check the – I wrote a world NFL draft, can't keep up. No one can really keep up with these guys declaring. It's almost the point where you have to wait till the end and see who the official official list is on January 16th anymore. I've been an advocate for some years of the NFL following sort of the – NBA approach where a player can declare and as long as they haven't signed with an agent if it turns out they didn't get drafted or didn't get drafted where they wanted they can go back resume their collegiate career the NFL has thus far shown no interest obviously Uh, I'm hoping at some point they will take that into more consideration I sympathize with young men who are making a difficult decision they love most of them you know, very few exceptions love playing football. They, most of them love playing college football. But their dream, well, I mean, all of them. Heck, I had the dream of playing professional football. just didn't work out. Yeah, the world wasn't going crazy for 5'8", 174-pound safeties run 4'6", apparently. So, you know, I found another outlet for my love for the game. James, Mr. Coburn, once again, Happy New Year. Glad to have you, as always. Do you find that this flood, this deluge of early declarations, because so much of what you do do is built around comparison of guys based on what they've done in terms of production at certain ages, uh, certain things in terms of statistical models and cutoff points and and, uh, finding benchmarks. When so many guys declare early, does it begin to change the way you approach some of the work you do? Well, somewhat. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff, though, you know, after getting done with, you know, high school football uh, production stuff, where the indicators start as as low as that level to a certain extent with certain players. But at the same time, I do think it does hurt you a little bit in that you're you're going to have to compare guys that were in their sophomore year or their, you know, retro sophomore year or retro junior year because they're leaving earlier. But I haven't actually seen anything significantly change in that because a lot of times the great players, at least players that are really, really good, were very productive as sophomores, were very productive as juniors uh, or red, redshirt sophomores, excuse me. So, like, there's um, there's a bit of that too. So I do think it might affect things long-term a little bit because, you know, sometimes breakout, you know, things like breakout age and stuff, but at the same time, I think if you haven't broken out by your third year, um, sometimes that does kind of show somewhat of an issue, even though there are a couple of examples of guys that um, weren't necessarily the most productive guys. I think the, the 
at least the defensive tackle, the best example to me is Albert Hainsworth, for example, who is a really, really young player who, you know, declared uh, and uh, ended up having a fairly good career, you know, other than towards the tail end where things kind of got messy. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would just say it kind of makes it, it – there's a little bit more projection with with athletes at the very least, you know, with guys that are really athletic. Some teams may be more willing to take a, a chance on those types of players because they may get something that they didn't show in college. And, Eric, you mentioned that you and I occasionally, I think all of us, have had somebody reach out to us, you know, hey, follow me, have a question for you, and it's some guy who's a junior or a redshirt junior or a redshirt sophomore, which, I mean, once again, I know things happen, but if you're a redshirt sophomore, unless you are flat out killing the game, I mean, Solomon Thomas, good example, yes. Go on, Mr. Thomas. But it just it bothers me. And I do ask. I mean, if a guy says, hey, like you said, the, the Alvester story is a great example, and there are other guys. I mean, loads of guys. Sometimes – and I've had guys just flat out tell me, look, I, I don't like being a college student. I love college football. I've had guys flat out, just to be honest with me, you know, I, I'm not enjoying the school part of it. And, of course, people always bring up, you know, hey, what about a D league? And, of course, it's a pipe dream until – Unless and until something changes, even with the large number of very inexperienced players that that are putting themselves, everyone has confidence. I'm glad they are confident, but I don't think they quite understand what an NFL camp is like. And you can't. I mean, there's no way to understand what it's going to be like. I think they think it's going to be closer to their collegiate experience than it's going to be. Even the ones who I know have friends or family members who play in the league, and I know they've been told things, but... It's like combat. I went through combat training, but combat training is not combat. Nothing prepares you for combat. Nothing really prepares you for being in an NFL camp. When you talk to these young men, Eric, without, you know, you know, raining on their parades, how do you approach letting someone know what is realistic for them to expect? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that we do, and I think it's really important that, that I always, you know, it's usually, it's usually obviously led by me, and I usually have one other person on the staff, off from scouting, kind of help with it as well, more so so I can have, you know, kind of shoulder some of the report, but also to kind of talk with someone else. But but the main thing we focus on and I focus on is we are not – we do not help these kids make a decision in terms of here's what you should do. And, and our evaluations are a few pages long, and they're more than just scouting reports, um, and they're not designed to say at the end, stay or don't stay, or here's your draft grade. It's more about looking at who the player is athletically, um, what their production was, more nuanced production, a lot of what Jim does as well, kind of looking at those more market share things for receivers or, or, or things of that nature, kind of really focusing on what their production means because that's something that players generally want to tie their career to, right? I was productive, that's all they got NFL player. We address that. Then you look at draft trends historically, whether it's juniors coming out or whether it's undersized receivers or whether it's, you know, tweeners at the position of linebacker in the end, stuff like that, and then the scouting report. And the biggest thing that that I'll do is I always, you know, not every player wants to speak potentially via phone. And some players say, hey, let's have a conference call with me and my parents. So it, it kind of varies between players. But the biggest thing is when these kids are told either way, come out or don't come out, or here's what I think you should do, it's a turnoff. And for good reason. You know, these kids, all of these kids, even kids at small schools, have five, six, seven people, if not more, telling them to do one thing or the other, whether it's an agent, a parent, an uncle, and I mean the classic uncle situation. If like uncle comes in when you might be making money and he tells you what to do, that's very common among all these kids. And I think it's really important, at least in my perspective, to never tell a kid what to do with his future, but to say, hey, 
here's our experience, my experience, and 10-plus years doing this. Here's the, the word of some NFL scouts that I spoke with about you. Here's our evaluation, more than just a scouting report. And you make your own decision. You know, if, if that's if – you, if we're kind of saying, like, all the trends and numbers are pointing to you to be a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, and you're okay with that, then that's fine. So I think every player is different. Every player is looking for something different in the process. The thing I get most worried about in doing this is when other influences are affecting these guys, whether it's yep. an agent I know is being unsavory and saying you're going to declare it to the draft. Um, I know there's issues when, you know, sometimes a quarterback from uh, a, a Western Mount, Mount, Mount West school is thinking about declaring for the draft based off mock drafts he reads. Those kind of things worry me as someone who knows and, and seen these kids on the wrong path before. So, right. so it's really important these kids don't get another – stay or go, it's more about the importance of, of the evaluation. And I think evaluations in terms of agents and players sometimes gets lost. They're not just scouting reports or GIFs or videos online. It's using experience. It's using actual NFL intake. It's using trends. you got to predict what you might be, both as a signing bonus as a rookie and what your draft pick salary may be, as well as what you're passing up by leaving school and, and not finishing regular eligibility and not getting any better and going to an NFL situation that they're not going to really – the NFL teams aren't developing guys. They want you to be ready to go. They'll give you a year or two to kind of figure it out. But if you're not mentally and maturely ready as well as fundamentally ready, you're not going to make it either. So a lot of these kids don't understand the process every year. And the last thing I'll leave on Bill is that, you know, I think we, and I do at the same time too, I forget that, you know, we go through the draft process every year. <laughs> these kids, it's the One first time. time they're doing it every year. First and, and last. Really important. <laughs> In fact, unlike the NBA, you can't do it twice. You get one shot here. <laughs> yeah, that's and baseball. I mean, baseball players can be drafted three times uh, before they. In fact, I mean more if you want to get into the like Rule Five and whatever. Baseball drafting is God bless anybody who has to scout baseball players. God bless because that's, whew. but because um, you start scouting guys at fifteen, sixteen, and then you're still scouting sometimes even the same guys ten years later, as the, if they get sort of bogged down in the minors. But um, I'm going to jump back to you for a second, Jim. So you have guys sometimes with literally 12, 13, 14, 15 games to work with in some cases who are making the decision to declare, and some of them actually do decide to come out despite the fact that they have what I would consider about half as much tape as I feel good about, you know, if I'm evaluating. Uh, I mean, obviously you can make an evaluation based off of one year or a year and a you know, quarter of another year or something like that, but it reduces my sense of certitude. When you do what you do, as you said, more and more guys, I mean, this is a trend that I'd like to see, you know, at least, if not reversed, then at least level off, but how do you, you said you make certain adjustments, so you make certain allowances for comparisons based on similar amount of playing time or things like that, but if this does sort of become the new normal, or at least one-third of the new normal, I guess, uh, will you continue to change thresholds, or how does that work in your, in your particular approach? I mean, as I, as I always say, the going sort of saying, the, the thing that is going to be my greatest one, when, when the facts change, I change my mind, So, which is a lot of what data usually does. Is if you have something that changes, if you start to notice that the production level changes, uh, for example, you know, cornerbacks tackle a lot more now than they did back in the 90s, and a lot of that's because of the emergence of the spread game and stuff like that, then you change your, you know, you adjust your thresholds for those types of things. So 
So all I would say is that, yes, it is something to monitor and look at. I don't think you should completely throw out the thresholds until there's actually something that changes those thresholds, which usually take four or five years to do. I mean, because, you know, again, a lot of the stuff is based on what a player does in a four-year, five-year, ten-year span. So it's going to take at least five, I mean, you know, five to six years before, you know, consider changing stuff. I, I never, like, change my thresholds based on one guy having a decent rookie year. It's about what they do in their career is a lot of what I base most myself on. And, of course, one other thing that we obviously do not get to evaluate with underclassmen, Dick Larise, is practices in all-star games. And there's been a movement, and we now have juniors who have, who have especially in a lot of redshirt juniors, if they have their degrees, who are now at least able to participate in the senior bowl and some things like that. But obviously for true juniors and redshirt sophomores, there's still no outlet for them. There was a movement at one point <laughs> to try to open it up, even to guys who had not completed all of their academic requirements for graduation, and you know that uh, was shot down <laughs> pretty pretty quickly. But we'll see if that's revisited if this once again becomes the new normal. So, Eric, how much to you does it matter? Uh, the some people really seem to put a lot into all-star game practices and things like that. How much is it a part of your process and the process of optimum scouting? Yeah, I think it's a big for me, and I think. I may be a bit different um, in terms of exactly how a lot of NFL scouts would. Some NFL scouts would kind of agree with me and how much they they prioritize All Star games. Um, I'm a big proponent of them, and and I don't mean to say that most of my evaluation and more of my evaluation is based on All Star games, but I think they can be so so telling if you are. And there's two kinds of thoughts in All Star games. Two with scouts, some scouts like to go in cold and, and not really know what their guy is in college. They can kind of get their own evaluation and then watch film and see if it backs it up. Some scouts go the other way and, and know these guys in time out and then go to the All-Star game and see their uniqueness. That, that's what I like to do. I like to watch these guys a lot and then go to the All-Star game and see them. And, and, and the way I always treat it and the way I, I tell players this and talk with scouts about it as well is the NFL draft process is a five-month-long job interview for these players. And this is not unlike you go to a job interview and they throw you a curveball question, except that curveball question is a week long for these kids at these All-Star games. It's mm-hmm. a new system, new teammates players you've generally never seen before in practice, a game situation, which you have to kind of figure out in the fly of a whole system. Um, you got interviews in the afternoons and the mornings. You have meetings with your team. You have media stuff. Most all-star games do charity work as well. So it's, it's a really a week-long job interview, part of a five-month job interview. But I think what that shows a lot of kids is, is their ability to handle adversity, ability to kind of mesh in the NFL. And if you can kind of make things work in a week in an all-star game. You can make things work in your first training camp in the NFL. That's kind of my philosophy as well. And kind of see, compare speed. You can compare arm talent. And what, I mean, for example, Senior Bowl, I guess it was two years ago, uh, I'm watching the first day we're there. It's, it's Jimmy Garoppolo by Derek Carr, or Derek Carr, um, side by side. And, and I'm watching that yep. Derek Carr's velocity is certainly yeah. noticeably better. Yeah. But because of Garoppolo's, in a throwing motion and throwing quickness, the ball got there at the same time. And, and a lot of those, that, that came to me as something I didn't think about before getting there. And that, yeah, Derek Carr's velocity is, is much better, noticeably, but on the same exact drop, they're, they're dropping in unison, they're starting their throwing motion in unison, and Garoppolo stuff gets there at the same time, too. Those are the kind of things that kind of bigger thematic things that when you see in person, these side by side, both guys end up going in the top two rounds, 
you can see how that can play a huge role in evaluation. But also, you know, certainly working for the two All-Star games, the Dream Bowl and the HBCU All-Star game, the HBCU Spear America Bowl, it's actually called. Um, it is great, too, because especially for it, the Senior Bowl has five or six small school players. The Shrine game has five or six, I think, this year. The Dream Bowl is exclusively small school players. The HBCU game is exclusively HBCU schools. And, you know, these kids are, have a chance to, to compete and, again, be outside their situation, get away from some of these, especially smaller schools, who, who didn't have great college opportunities to thrive and, and be a star player more than just production, and actually show they can hold their own against other top players. That's the value of all-star games. So I think the quarterbacks looking at the one-on-ones with O-line, D-line, seeing how they can compare with different competition. And then looking at these small school guys, especially looking at the Dream Bowl and the HBCU all-star game, and seeing these guys can compete and make the most of an opportunity because, again, it is a job interview, and, for small school guys and for quarterbacks, it's one that's very laborious and makes needs a few breaks to kind of make it work in the NFL. And I know for you, Jim, it's a, I won't say it's like a vacation or a break exactly, uh, but it's a little more fun, I'm guessing, than a lot of the work you do. A lot of the work you do is very solitary, uh, probably not very sexy, but extremely important. Uh, you know, if you're grinding a bunch of data, you know, people – sort of assume it's a big old snooze. I mean, I guess it depends on your approach or how much you like it. But for you, it must feel different to be in an environment where you're not having to be hunched over a screen. You're getting a chance, as as Eric just pointed out, you're watching how a ball comes up a guy's hand, uh, how a guy can open up his hips and turn. Does a guy take false steps? Does he have to – does he turn the wrong way the first time he runs through a drill? How long does it take a guy to figure certain things out? All that – where do you place it in the hierarchy of importance, uh, all-star game practices and games and all that? Well, I mean, pretty much the same as, <clears throat> as any other sort of, you know, scenario. Like you said, you know, more so like a job interview, you could treat it as another game, if you will, uh, in terms of, you know, what you see them going up against. Uh, because, you know, again, a lot of times people go, oh, he dominated – players at all-star game but then again how great were these guys at the all-star game you know sometimes you may have a guy that like you might have every single tackle that goes to one of these all-star games he doesn't really uh, become uh, anything like incredible at least you know like a great player but uh, but at the very least I mean I just think with these all-star games you do get a good sense of who they are as people uh, you get a good sense of their practice habits uh, how they prepare for the week uh, how they perform during the week and everything else like that. So, I mean, it, it's really about, you know, again, getting to know who they are, getting to know a little bit of their personality and how they mesh with everybody else. And uh, and it can tell you a lot. I mean, it can tell you a lot of information, which just gets added to the rest of the information that can influence you. And it's kind of why if you get invited to the Senior Bowl, for the most part, you're going to get drafted. I mean, there's very highly likelihood that you're going to get drafted because, you're creating that relationship, which is a big part of getting drafted, is creating those relationships with GMs, uh, scouts, teams, et cetera. And that's one of the first places that usually that first relationship starts is at a senior bowl a lot of times. And Erica has a couple more questions for you because I know you have to run soon. So in your, you know, matrix, when you put things together, you've got, you know, I always talk about scouting as a gumbo, right? I always feel like you can toss everything in there. Some things you may put more of, some things you move less of, but there's nothing I don't put in. I put in 
you know, I mean, we all hear rumors, and some we trust, depending upon the source, and some we don't, depending upon the source. But I, I don't exclude anything. I, I take in everything. I'm omnivorous when it comes to when it comes to scouting. I, I'm embracing information I get from analytics now. You know, I was one of those guys that started back a million years ago when, I mean, the Cowboys and a few other teams attempted to make use of analytics, but nobody really knew what they were doing. And now, obviously, there's a lot more information and a lot more depth of information than there was previously. If you can give me sort of the optimum scouting approach, how do things stack up in terms of value and importance? And then when you guys pull together, whether it be your, a publication, whether it be an article, whatever it is, uh, how much weight do you place on things when you learn them, if you know what I mean? Like some people, as you said, like to hit this thing with almost no information. I, I, I can understand why somebody would do that. I, I can't do it myself. I'm a, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. I'm a collector. I, I want to know everything I can know as early as I can know it. But tell me about your approach there. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that we do and we've done for, you know, 10 years, 10, I think it's 11 years now, um, and I've been doing this with the staff, is, is my role has been, especially the first couple of years I realized that the best role for me is to kind of be, watch a lot of guys. I have to watch a lot of the bigger names. I'll watch and then stuff for our clients at the Green Bowl and the HBCU All-Star game. Um, but I'm not going to watch it. I can't watch everybody in season at the time. So what I'll do is I'll, you know, we'll talk to our staff. And my main role as director of scouting, like I know some NFL directors of scouting do, is when talking to scouts, play devil's advocate. All right, what, you like this guy a lot. You have him as a second-round guy. I'll watch him, and I'll kind of pick points. as like, why might this guy be a fifth or sixth-round pick? Or, and that's too specific. But you get what I'm saying, kind of like a day-tube or day-three guy and having that discussion. I believe it's the best way to kind of form an evaluation. And it's... It, it forces both sides, just like a law background, which was kind of what I have, that, that lawyer idea of kind of make the best argument both sides, and, and hopefully that kind of verdict will be our final grade on these guys. And that way we don't put any focus on the process in terms of the, the scouting aspect, not the bias isn't there as well, because you're forced to kind of say, well, he can do this well. Well, how about in this situation? What about with this team? Is he his team's just a guy? Kind of having both sides of the argument, which we do very frequently, and I'll call everyone on our staff you know, once a week, um, not everyone on the staff, but at least once a week I'll talk to two or three people on our staff and just talk about some guys. And I'll play devil's advocate. I'll be prepared to talk to them. That's been the best process we've had. Um, we've had success in some guys. Sometimes, you know, I'm not hard enough on, on dis- not discouraging one grade and, and not having an ample discussion. And sometimes the other side is a bit too low, and I'm not prepared to deal with that. But that's on our situation, not on the, on the process. So um, I think that the devil's advocate approach, and that's really worked for us. And then in terms of structuring everything else, you know, we'll have – I think six guys on our staff at the Senior Bowl this year will have a guy at the Shrine game, a guy at the NFL game. Having kind of eyes everywhere, like you said, a collector is really important for us. Like I said, I value all-star games, and that's really important. And then finally, I mentioned analytics. Um, you know, I think, the, I think the rise in analytics is less, in my opinion, is less going to be about statistical evaluation because quietly the NFL has been strong in this area in terms of statistical evaluation than people realize. It's just a matter of NFL teams and NFL decision makers not using that stuff. But right. they've, they've had it for a long time since they've the had it for a long time. early it's, it's, how they've, it's how they've used it or misused it. Absolutely. How you and, that's, it. <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of where what my focus has gone to our staff. And our draft guide this year, every member of our staff, including myself, will have an analytic study first and front and foremost in the draft guide because I think that's the most important thing because what the shift is becoming is not saying here are the numbers, here's what they mean, here's why you should listen to them, but making them more position-specific or situation-specific or skill-set-specific. 
I'm a, the two my two favorite, not to pick favorites on our staff, but my two favorites are Derek Klassen's quantifying quarterback. I think he does a fantastic job there. The publication we have goes up all NFL teams. That, that's always the biggest feedback we get is that's that's awesome. And, and I, Derek's a, I forget how young he is sometimes, but he's super young. I don't think he realizes the impact that quantifying quarterbacks has. And then Anthony Chiato's pressure production, which looks at how each pass rusher does in terms of what rush move they use on that play. A simple concept, but using that in terms of percentages, in terms of success and failures, I think is super important. He's been doing it for 20 pass rushers this year for at least five games. Those are the kind of things that when a decision maker or a scout sees that, they can really appreciate what that means. They get what that means because it ties directly to the scouting report. That's the kind of analytics we've been pushing as well. So I think those, that combination of, of having our staff play devil's advocate, of being at all these events and taking in all this information, like you said, but also kind of focusing on analytical approaches to kind of back up what we're saying or clean up what we think as prospects. And then finally, obviously, the character evaluations is, is something I place a high priority on. And, uh, you know, having, having the three best interviews the Senior Bowl that I've done my time being Russell Wilson, Colin Kaepernick, and Dak Prescott. I should have known that Dak Prescott wasn't going to be good, but I, every year I forget how important character is for quarterbacks and character is for long-term for guys elsewhere on the roster. That's always been a growing importance in my mind and kind of quantifying character, which is a very difficult thing to do. My gosh, you are prescient. That's exactly where I wanted to take this next. So Joe Mixon has once again, we never get away from this discussion, but he's put it, literally in the middle of our plates. Like, we can't, you can't eat around it. You've got to tackle it. I've, once again, been around this thing long enough. There was no social media. There was barely media media when I first started really getting into the draft. I've, my first draft article was published in 1982. So, yeah. But uh, we have to, once again, have to have the discussion. We're being forced to have the discussion about how much does it matter, how much should it matter, how do you assess risk when it comes to things like character? How do you separate a person, a young person, who's done a bad thing? How do you differentiate that from a person who is a person who is going to do bad things or is, in fact, a bad person? And I'll ask you and then I'll, I'll ask Jim about sort of approaches to that. How much – how do you, first of all, even approach the character issue and then what methods do you use even to gather that kind of information? Yeah, and, and thanks for having me jump on the podcast. I appreciate it. I'll jump off after this. No problem. Um, two quick stories is, is one, you know, last year for the Dream Bowl, we were – we almost had a couple guys, two due to – three guys that got drafted, two due to injury, um, Seth DeValve of Princeton and Camus Gruger hill uh, but East Illinois, both of which got drafted, both wouldn't play this year because of injury. Um, I believe at least Gruger hill was injury. But the third guy we were almost going to have and something came up was – Tyreek Hill, um, mm-hmm. and Tyreek Hill was going to play in the game. Um, we had spoken a little bit, wasn't a great texter, um, but, but we had talked a little bit, and we spoke on the phone, and I told the game's director, he said, you know, Eric, I know this guy's background. I don't know if I'm in the game. And I said, hey, you know, these kids deserve a second chance. It's a long time ago. I know the story. Let me get it from his mouth. Let me talk to him about it and, and see what he says about what happened. If he's remorseful, if it's something we can move on from, Maybe we can take a chance on this guy and say, you know, we're not going to vouch for his character. We want to give him an opportunity to have an NFL opportunity. I spoke with him. The first thing he brought up was that he, you know, I asked him, hey, you know, Tyreek, we've been talking a while. We're, we're interested in kind of giving you an invite to the game, totally coverage, costs, and everything, and a free invite to the game, just like any other all-star game. And I want to ask about what happened. And 
when I brought up the situation, I said, hey, here's the concern that we have, here's the story, I want to get it from your point of view. The first thing he did to me, and this I mean, what other NFL scouts do as well, is he had a slight giggle. And then he explained that it's past him, he's moved on, it's not a big deal. For me, that was it. For me, I, I said, Tyree, thanks for let me talk to you, I appreciate it. And that we'll be in touch. That's all I need to hear in terms of his character. And, and, and I will say I wish him the best of luck. I wish him the best of luck in the future. Nothing else happens, God forbid, and, and he can have a successful NFL career. But that's the kind of character evaluations I will do is I'll call. I want to call every player. I want to talk to every player. And thankfully, I'm able to do that for a lot of guys. The Senior Bowl, the Shrine Game are great opportunities. I'm going to talk to these kids too. But, but I think speaking to these kids is super, super important, um, more so than just reading a, a rap sheet or reading – you know, an article someone wrote or hearing about it. Um, but I think speaking to these kids is super important because a lot of times they'll tell you all you need to know. If it, how a kid treats the staff of the senior bowl, how he treats teammates, is he sitting with his teammates, that kind of body language stuff in these all-star games, but also when you go to practices when the kids in college are really important, talking to the kid himself. So I play a huge role on talking to these players and, and if they, you know, if, Anybody talks to these guys and they're disrespectful to you, that says something about their character. Not that they're not going to be a good NFL player, but it's important to kind of note those things and mentally prepare those things because these kids are going to be adults, hopefully, in nine months. So I think talking to these kids, understanding maturity is really important. And, you know, the second thing is talk to coaches. And, and mm-hmm. coaches are not always forthcoming. And talk to scouts who talk to coaches, talk to media people, beat reporters who talk to coaches to kind of fill that stuff in. It's very important because coaches who are honest will tell you everything about a player. And I think mm-hmm. coaches who are honest with scouts and with media, first off, have the most respect with scouts. And those scouts will go back to those schools frequently to, to sign players and undrafted for agency because they appreciate the coach's honesty. And two, they're never wrong. I, I've never heard something from a coach about a player when he was speaking honestly that ended up being inaccurate or not happening in the future. Um, you know, one player this year, I won't go into detail about what I was told on him, but Malik McDowell of Michigan State. Oh, uh, yeah. Lot, lot of issues. Um, yep. Lot of issues. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, one, you know, one NFL GM was is hoping someone else in division drafts him because um, <laughs> they know what's going to happen. So, like those yep. kind of things are really important. But to get the Joe Mixon in there, I will say this: I would bet a lot of money that he gets drafted. Oh, um, the, oh, the, the I, state of the I, NFL is is not one. If he makes it to day drafted. three, he won't last that long on day three. That, it, it'll it'll that. it'll be it'll be the talk of the of the day three of the draft when the yep. draft opens up. Where is he going to go? And yep. and I think it's it's important to realize now that that's that's gonna that's gonna happen and, and you know being having being an uproar about character issues and you know, I talked to Tyreek Hill I am not a glowing review of his character I I spoke with him I don't have really nice things to say about Tyreek Hill but I've never when he speak negatively I would never necessarily blame you know the Chiefs even for drafting him because he's had success. And, you know, they're not losing ticket sales. It's still a business. They're not condoning that behavior, and, and neither am I. And I can't – who am I to blame them for making a great fifth-round draft pick and kind of value-adding the issues off the field with production on the field? You know, we can have a a philosophical debate or moral debate about whether it's worth it or not, but for the Chiefs, it was absolutely worth it. And, and if, he, if he does nothing ever again off the field, ends up being a, a, an adequate to model citizen – that's the best draft pick of that draft class, maybe. If something happens again, they can cut bait, they can act like they're sorry, and then a year later, let's be <laughs> honest, that the media is going to forgive the Chiefs. So, right. so I think that that's important to keep in mind that, that Nixon will get drafted. I'd probably say in the fourth round is where he goes for almost no matter what. Yep. Um, and it's time for us to realize that unless 
people are not going to come to games, which is not going to happen because of an obstacle issue. These guys are going to keep getting drafted, keep getting playing time, and keeping a chance to be star players despite their off-the-field issues. Right, and it's not a new thing. I mean, once again, I'm old enough to remember guys doing terrible, terrible things. Christian P. I mean, there's a long list. I don't want to name them all. But, I mean, I, some things that were publicly known about guys and stuff that I knew through people I knew about guys going back to well into the early 90s when I really started to get insights from coaches and scouts about stuff. you know. And this is before so much of this stuff was in the public domain. So before you run, Eric, tell people where they can find the great content that you bring from Optimum Scouting and uh, what kind of publications, things like that, are, will be featuring your, your content. Yeah, the you know obviously the Optimum Scouting content by myself and we'll have our national championship bowl preview up up tomorrow uh, on OptimumScouting.com. Obviously, a lot of my work now, uh, my major stuff, mock drafts and you know, breaking new stuff, and then um, bigger feature articles will be on Sporting News. Uh, I'm the NFL Draft League guy, and the NFL Draft will come out sometime during draft season. I don't want to commit to a date quite yet. We're kind of getting <laughs> that ironed out right now, um, but right. it'll be sometime. I'll say earlier in draft season, earlier than, than maybe some people are expecting. Um, and then finally, the, the Dream Bowl. Um, the Dream Bowl and the HBCU game, I don't want to talk too much because I'm, le- I'm leaving here, but really excited about it. The roster is actually going to be released here in about an hour or so. Just going to finish up oh. some more things today. Oh, wow. And we're really excited about it. We've got, you know, I'm confident between the HBCU All-Star Game, which is only for HBCU seniors. The website is hbcusoabowl.com, Spirit of America Bowl. The rosters are tremendous. Um, I think we have 12 NFL teams confirmed so far. We've got two more today. Excellent. We're at 14. We're going to have probably 15, 16 NFL teams there. And most importantly for viewers, you know, certainly I'll be tweeting about it. I'll be reporting on it. But the game itself, the HBCU All-Star Game, will be Saturday night at 7 p.m. on Comcast Sports Network yeah. right after the NFL playoff game. Excellent. So prime time, that time, football. And then the Dream Bowl is noon on Martin Luther King Jr. Day um, on Comcast Sports Network. So both are nationwide channels. We're looking forward to having a good audience there as well. Yes. Well, I, I watch – uh, obviously, I'll be watching, and uh, you know, I I know I'm not going to influence you anyway, but I mean, I'm hoping that Sandy Chapman makes it. Uh, big fan, <laughs> to at least to one of those. But Eric, it's been many years uh, since I've had the great pleasure of making your acquaintance and admiring your work, and I can I will continue to do so. So thank you so much for your time, your attention, and your talents. And once again, I have a, the best year ever for you and your organization in 2017. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. And, and Jim, I don't want to talk at all. I'm sorry for hijacking your podcast. I'm a big oh. fan of your work, man. I hope oh, we can uh, touch base again soon. But I'm a big fan of what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime. You have an open invitation. If you can make it, jump in. Thank you, Thanks, Eric. Guys. That was Eric Galco, the CEO, director, or sorry, director of scouting for uh, Optimum Scouting, a, a friend and associate of many years. Uh, one of the people, I guess, I'm trying to think who else I've known as long as him in sort of the draft world. He's one of my first, uh, I guess the only other people I've known longer, Rick Saratella, a draft Bible I've known since the, sometime in the 90s. Uh, Bill Chakas, I've known since the, sometime in the mid-90s, and a few others in the, you know, OGs or whatever you want to use. But uh, always a pleasure. So similar question I'll ask for you. You've talked about trying to do analysis, uh, trying to do metrics actually around character. And it's a fascinating, I mean, if you actually did something and you had a, I don't know, algorithm or whatever, if you had something, I mean, that's the kind of thing that people would buy, 
right? If you had something that was at least it somewhat is. predictive, yes. I mean, the way I would describe it is there actually was a, and this this dealt with recidivism rates, is that there was a algorithm that they created. I forgot where they created it, but they were using data to look at a guy's arrest record, you know, how old they, you know, like basically taking all these different data points. And what they found out was that the computer algorithm mm-hmm. actually did a better job of figuring out who was going to recommit crimes versus parole boards that, because, you know, the traditional method for, you know, recidivism rates and looking at all that stuff is a parole board, you know, a right. guy that whoever's on that board looks at all the information and they make a decision, you know, Morgan Freeman song in that you know, one movie. <laughs> right. uh, but, you know, they, they look at all the information they go, all right, I think this guy is clean. I think he's, you know, I think he's not going to... And then they bring him in and they talk to him and he tells them, they you know, what did you learn? Tells them the story, you right. know, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and they do a lot of different stuff like that. And, and sometimes it's parole officers, sometimes it's the board, you know, there's lots of different things. But basically the computer was able to do that better. Um, and it's getting to the point where the more data they collect, the more stuff they collect, like a future scenarios, if you will, it's going to get to the point where, like right now, it's only about 20% better than the human method, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But it could get a heck of a lot better to the point where, like, we're talking 99% chance of accurately predicting whether or not a guy, oh wow, you know, has a high, you know, if he's going to recommit a crime, you know, basically what I'm trying to say. It's not there yet, but what I'm trying to say is this. There is data that you can collect on players character-wise. There's data on their behavior, on their history, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the, the only real moral dilemma with that type of stuff is you're basically, you're basically judging people on a crime they haven't committed yet. It's the only moral <laughs> Minority report. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, but I mean there is stuff that, there is stuff to that. Um, I mean there's already been do- dozens of studies or hundreds of studies actually on how uh, peer groups affect. You know, if you have a, a person who is a peer or a young person who hangs out with people who do drugs or are in a gang or whatever, they're more likely to do drugs and have a gang. That's if you don't. But that also is another sort of philosophical debate about free choice versus, you know, human behavior. But I just think that there is different things you can look at. I haven't got way too into character because I've been just so preoccupied with everything else. But I do think that if you were to collect enough information with actual data, you know, in terms of like, okay, this guy was arrested for domestic violence, or he was arrested for this, or he was arrested for that, you know, all these different sort of things, uh, you would be able to come up with something that would help you to decipher the chances of them recommitting, because that's really what this is all about. Will Joe Mixon do something stupid in the future based on the stupid things he's done in the past, Um, or at least behavior that we find to be wrong? Um, That's what you're trying to do, because you don't want to be that team because, I mean, that's the biggest thing to me is there's a lot of people going, oh, Joe Mixon's going to get drafted in the first round, second round, whatever. Mm. Does that NFL team want to have a B-roll on every major network of him <laughs> punching a a white girl, you know, in the face? Extremely uh, hard. <laughs> yeah. Do you want that B-roll to be on 24-7 during the draft? I don't think so. So, I mean, that's the first thing you have to deal with, unfortunately, uh, which I hate to – but that's that, – 
I mean, as much as you would think teams would worry about, like, okay, this is a bad person, you know, like, as much as you think teams would worry about the moral aspect of it, they're more worried about the PR hits that they're going to take based on taking a player like that with the other sort of stuff. But I would just say that when it comes to character sort of stuff, there is things you can look at. There is things that I think would be meaningful to get and put into a data set and check to see if there's any correlations and also add switch to algorithm. Like I said, it's just so much work to do. And on top of that, the verifiability of that data because, you know, a guy may have had an arrest record as a young player, but it was sponged, you know, removed. Uh, you also have scenarios where, say, you go to a college and you commit something and then the police officers don't report that thing. I'm not saying it happens all the time. I'm just saying it's something to, you know, consider um, in certain cases. But, yeah, I mean, there absolutely is something to be said about character with data. It's just it's something where I haven't gone full tilt into yet. But it is something I think you will see some meaningful sort of things because, I mean – because, again, the real question we're asking, again, with Joe Mixon is, is he going to do something stupid in the future based on the stupid things he's done in the past? I kind of have a feeling that he is going to do something stupid again. But it's just, I mean, we're already seeing this with, like, Randy Gregory, for example, with, you know, doing marijuana. Um, I mean, it's just something where – and he was a, kind of a worst case because not, not based on hitting women or anything, but just – you know, he, he failed multiple drug tests. You know, many, 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 many drug tests, yes. Yeah, so this shouldn't be a surprise, I guess. Like, I don't necessarily think I need this crazy algorithm to say that, oh, Randy Gregory's probably going to smoke weed again and get you know, in trouble for it. <laughs> no, but you don't need an algorithm for that. He's probably smoking weed right now as we speak. Yeah, exactly, because he's sad about being suspended for a year. You know, who cares? Just light one up, type of mentality uh but uh yeah i just that's all i really say is i just think when it comes to golly joe mixon i mean you're evaluating the talent of course but you're also evaluating the chances that this player is going to do something stupid and end up losing that player for extended amount of time on top of all the pr backlash and stuff like that because i'm just saying uh you're going to have so many it's just bad for business is all i'm trying to say i mean you're gonna have people you know, when you have certain players, you do certain things. And, of course, there's a whole mentality that, well, you know, people will forget about it in a year or so, which is kind of true, sadly. You know, if, if, if you wait long enough, people do kind of forget what players do. But I just think in Mixon's case, it's going to be something that everybody's going to talk about. No matter where he's drafted, there's going to be talk about stuff. So, uh, it's gonna be, uh, to me, it's just going to be kind of interesting and fascinating at the same time just to see exactly what happens. Because he could make another mistake during the draft process, which would be even worse. <laughs> so, uh, but, but that is possible. He could do another dumb thing during the draft process, and then it's just a question, does he get drafted now? He already was kind of on the fence when he getting drafted before, but this extra thing, whatever that is, is that going to be the, the next thing? But who knows? Yeah, I, I remember, and you might remember it, I got into a little, you know, discussion with one of Joe Mixon's strong supporters on Twitter. Uh, this is before the video, but after the incident with the parking enforcement agent on campus, and I sort of said something to the effect that he, 
I knew what was in the police report. I hadn't seen the video because no one had seen the video at that point, but I knew some, it was pretty horrific stuff. And I said, you know, this, you know, once is, you can sort of, you can say, you know, there was a bad moment, one bad thing happened, whatever. At this point, there's a pattern to developing. And so I was, somebody was talking about how Joe Mixon, you know, should be RB1 and first round draft pick. And I was like, well, you know, even if you believe in the talent, there's stuff there. And, you know, the person kind of minimized or laughed off the, you know, well, there's times when I've wanted to tear up a ticket to throw it and someone says, well, you know, maybe you have. And maybe, but if you did that, one, you know, no one would care because you're, you know, not Joe Mixon. But two, you don't have this established track record of having difficulty controlling your anger. So we can certainly hope. I mean, I don't root for people to fail. I didn't root for Randy Gregory to have his troubles. I didn't root for Johnny Manziel to turn out as I, I thought he would turn out the way he did, but I didn't root for yeah. it. Uh, yeah. And I'm not rooting for Joe Mixon to have further issues, but here's what you have to remember. He's going to go into the NFL. Not that he wasn't hearing stuff in college, but, I mean, I, I don't know how best to put this. You think you had trouble with people saying things to you while you were in college about this incident. Imagine when you go now into – Right, but imagine when you go into Jerry World, right? You go into that crazy balls coliseum full of people who are full of beverages and are Texans for the most part. I mean, unless, of course, he gets drafted by Dallas, in which case they'll be fine with it, I guess. Well, we'll see. But, uh, but I'm going to go out on a limb and assume he doesn't end up being drafted by, the, by Dallas. And if he ends up having to play in Dallas, I mean, remember where he has to play, but imagine if it's there. And so he's this guy that played at Oklahoma already. There'd be some booing if he had been a Eagle Scout, played in Oklahoma. But now you add to the fact that he's Joe Mixon, that Joe Mixon, in Texas, playing in this crazy, crazy studio. Now, obviously, they won't show the video on the Jumbotron, the world's biggest Jumbotron. I'm assuming they won't. But, um, but either way, they, they, the video will be playing in everyone's head, whether or not it's playing any other place when he stakes the field. We will get a real test of his maturity pretty early on. He'll have a teammate probably when he gets to camp. I mean, we'll hope, you know, we'll see. I mean, he's a rookie and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we'll see, you know, how, not every veteran will necessarily receive him with open arms, I guess is what I'm driving at. So it'll be interesting to see how he deals with these situations. It's one thing when you're, when you're a college kid drawn by other college kids and whatever it is you did, you're the new guy. No matter, you know what I mean? You're a teammate, but you're the new guy. And you're the new guy with this thing hanging over your head. Like I said, I, I don't, I'm not rooting against him. I'm just saying I hope he understands what that will be like. And while a year isn't going to make it all going away, uh, go away, I mean, you know, but you just said people, people forget. Or even if they don't forget, it's hard to maintain outrage at minimum. peak level, right, for an entire year. You know, it's it's the it's the whole sort of, and I, again, I don't want to get too psychological about whatever, but it's the whole sort of mentality of you when you have an enemy, you tend to nitpick them, but also when you have an ally, you tend to let stuff go. You know, at times um, where you have somebody who's your friend and they do bad things, but 
hey, he's my friend, you know, he, you know, he's a good guy, you know, look at the positive things. And I think that that happens a little bit too much with most humans anyways, where, you know, they, they tend to, for whatever reason, um, they kind of, which is what happens with Joe Mixon is that, oh, you know, he's a really bad player, you know, bad person, uh, at the very least based on his actions. But, hey, look at this gif here of him catching this ball effortlessly. And look at this right here. So, like, it, there's a bit of minimizing um, or, or, or justifying sort of, sort of certain things, I guess, based on talent or what he could do for my team and this other sort of stuff when all that stuff affects things. I mean, it's not only the fact that Joe Mixon wasn't exactly elite productive at Oklahoma, because, I mean, he was productive, but he just wasn't like special Hall of Fame productive. Uh, but the thing is, is that kind of makes the risk a little bit more than any other. Cause like, this isn't a, you know, sort of OJ Simpson level, you know, guy coming in with character sort of issues. This is a guy that best case scenario is a Clinton Portis ish kind of career. If he doesn't make another mistake, so I mean I you know I don't know I just I just feel like there's just lots of layers to it that uh, is gonna be interesting to see how the rest of draft season goes uh, because I do know how major media I, I, we already know how major media is gonna treat this at least some media people are gonna treat this but they may not even treat it at all they may just have it as a non-story I just think that the second one group of uh, people get a hold of it you're gonna have a whole you know, sort of social justice kind of hour on Joe Mixon and all the other stuff. But, I mean, we'll, but we'll see. It just depends on if that continues to happen. And, and if he makes another mistake, what what happens then? Um, because that's going to be another sort of thing to kind of affect things. Hmm. I'm interested, obviously, to see what happens with – I mean, obviously his career is going to be of great interest to a lot of people. Uh and there's others out there that we're going to, you know, be interesting to see what will happen in their, in their futures. And as more and more people either embrace, um, you know, the kind of work you do or create their own, I guess for lack of a way of putting it, uh, there's been a proliferation of ways to see the game, right, uh, from people who – uh, looks mostly at, you know, things that are physical. You know, some people who look seemingly almost entirely at, you know, physical metrics, paying little to no attention to production, uh, to those who look largely at production, uh, though, maybe, you know, obviously not, I don't know anyone who looks entirely at it and ignores the other stuff. Some who sort of blend things, you know, sort of a one-size-fits-all approach where, you know, they add a guy's links and explosiveness and his whatever it all into one, giving you one thing, you know, one, hey, here's somebody's flabbity-flabbity score, you know, whatever they call it, you know, here's my new, you know, back tackle rankings or whatever based on his speed, agility, uh, uh, change of direction, uh, athletic uh, flexibility, whatever it is, you know, like sort of combining all the one thing. Yeah. 
there's a lot of different spark. ways that yeah, go ahead. Right. Sparkishness, but you know, not calling it gumbo. spark. Gumbo method, yeah. Well I'm fine with gumbo if you are making gumbo, right? But Right. But, <laughs> but I'm saying the method of, you know, let me put equal parts of everything in there, so you know, equal parts spices, equal parts salt, equal that's just way too much salt, man. It's gonna throw stuff off. You know, like it's um I mean, it's the sort of thing where, like, again, you need to look at every variable individually to see if it matters. If it doesn't matter, then why would you add that? Because all I'm saying is there's there's so many people who, for whatever reason, they add every single thing to their data set. Like, if they were really tall and had really long arms and really big hand size and throwing all that stuff together into one thing and then popping out a number. The problem with that is is that there's players who were successful players who weren't the tallest player. There were players who were successful players who didn't have the biggest hand size. Like, there were other things that were much more important to player performance than height, weight, and those other sort of things. And a lot of times, height and weight and these other sort of things were impactful, but not impactful enough to actually have it as a major, like, you're making it a major part of the score when it should have been less of, of, of that in terms of your overall, whatever your equation is, or whatever you're trying to do. So it's just why there's a lot of people who kind of come on and go, oh, well, there's no correlation for athleticism at uh, safety. When I look at the data set and they're including things like height and, and, and arm length and stuff like that, which I would say, well, yeah, height and arm length are, do not correlate, but things like four yard dashes and short shells and three cones do correlate <laughs> But you just didn't look at those things individually. You just threw everything in a pot and just went bam, you know, which isn't exactly how, you know, you're going to get less accurate results. You're not going to learn, you know, much from this information you get if you just water everything down with other stuff that just doesn't matter at times. So that's all I'd really say. Okay. And clearly you've gotten some reactions to your work. Uh some of them are sort of the, you know, the classic nerd, you know, whatever it is. But it seems like at least the reaction to your work is becoming – now, once again, you see more reactions to your work than I see. But it, it seems to me as an outsider that there's more nuanced reaction, people asking either legitimate questions, you know, or, you know, trying to take shots, desires as questions. But at least it's not dismissive, or at least it doesn't seem as dismissive as it used to be to me. Is that a fair assessment, or am I – naive or misinformed kind of i mean i just find it funny that you know i there's some people who kind of get it but then don't really get it like i've gotten some people who go oh i I love your work and they talk about it uh like you know i did like a metric all american list you know for uh college players and the person who was like oh i love his work he's using all this data from athleticism and physical metrics i'm like oh no 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 that's not what that is like that's not what that is you know like the all of the metric all american was production based stuff it right. wasn't physical characteristics and stuff so i there's there's a bit of confusion to a lot of the stuff i would say some some of the stuff uh, i do have some people that just dismiss my stuff completely uh, I haven't helped myself with some of the terms I've used, like edge safety and stuff like that, which is a joke, but it's an inside <laughs> joke. And, and it's a really good one, that. actually. Yeah. But, you know, I've gotten some flack over that. I've also gotten some people who just don't understand the work, so they just kind of criticize it. 
And again, the most problems that you see as a metric person is you're having to defend stuff that you had nothing to do with, you know, where somebody goes, oh, well, somebody said so-and-so player was a great athlete, and look, he didn't become anything. And I'm like, well, he wasn't that great of an athlete. You know, like there's there's stuff that you have to def- – like Matt Khalil is probably the best example. Like, people, oh, you know, Matt Khalil was a great athlete, and look how he turned out. I'm like, well, he was – those are people who don't care about strengths, apparently. <laughs> yeah, like he he was fast and he he had the athletic traits of a center, but he didn't have the athletic traits of offensive tackle. So yeah, you're gonna have, you know, he tested more like Goster Cherilis than he did, you know, anything else. And we've seen how that turned out. So like <laughs> you have sort of a not not really naive, but you just have people who kind of appropriate certain things, define certain things. They want to define you when right. that isn't what you are. And I think you know, Jim, it's easy. almost like you're black sometimes when people yeah, approach that. Right. I mean, a little bit. But, I mean, I mean, that's most – I mean, I have had some positive stuff to it uh, in terms of, you know, people reading and realizing what it is. I've had other people that go, oh, that seems pretty simple, you know, uh, because I don't – I mean, I could uh, – I have been working on doing algorithms, but algorithms are kind of confusing, you know. I'm not going to say confusing. They're a little confusing to certain people. Um, when you do, you know, algorithms and stuff like that, you know, just kind of doing some more simpler stuff because even though it's simpler, it, it works, you know, a lot of times. Uh, right. Positions. So, uh, and besides that, you kind of define things trait-based-wise and trying to, to get people to understand that, you know, production is a trait, length is a trait, hand size, like these are all traits. Film traits are film traits, but everything is a trait. You know, character is a trait. So right. I'm... I'm not anti-trade. I just think that everything is a trade, and you need to start treating everything as a trade versus dismissing things as, oh, that's not a trade when it is a trade, because that's really what you're saying. You know, when you say, oh, well, production doesn't matter, that you're basically saying, well, that doesn't matter. It's not a trade, uh, when in reality it, it does matter. You know, there's tons of data to back it up. Most of the data I have goes back to the 60s now, especially at offensive positions. So I, I really know – how you attack me now? I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's large enough that it's large enough of a sample size that you could do ten-year samples six times over and still come up with the same uh, correlation. So, um, you know, at least offensive position. So, I just think it's kind of like that. But yeah, that's the biggest thing to me. It, it's just too much of people trying to define who you are based on experiences they've had with other people. And believe me, I get it. You know. Um, I understand that we've had some people who do data who don't do it really well or people who do data and it's on a large enough sample size or people who do data and they just don't understand the um, confidence intervals and uh, stuff like that. Uh, You know, being sure that because the biggest thing with data is you want to make sure that you have a large enough sample size. That way there's less likely of a chance that the results you get are false. And, there's so many people that just kind of use 100 players, 50 players, uh, 20 players. Like the recent thing we had right now is, you know, I don't know if you know this, Bill, but there was like a Twitter war between uh, Brandon Thorne, who was saying, oh, Jake Conklin isn't really that great. Look at all, all the help he gets uh, and stuff like that, which is okay. Uh, offensive mm-hmm. tackles get help. Offensive guards get help. Centers get help. Uh we're not saying he didn't get help. What we're trying to say is, okay, did he get more help than every other right tackle mm-hmm. or every left tackle in the NFL? That was never answered. 
And there's things to do to figure that out. You define what health is, you chart every single offensive tackle in the NFL, and then you see which ones had more health than other ones who had health. And not only that, you look at the performances of those players. Because say a guy didn't get a lot of help, but he sucked without a lot of help, you know? So, um, or he was really good with a lot of with with little help. So, like, there's different things like that that I think uh, don't get focused on enough. And a lot of times when you make an uh, assumption about a player, which is like tape watching too, I mean, it's easy to equate that when you only watch one tape of a player <laughs> and you make these sweeping conclusions about them based on that one tape, that's essentially what you're doing a lot of times with data where you only have a 50 or 100 game or 100 player sample size. You're making sweeping assumptions based on one game when there's 16 games total, uh, or 15 or 14, 13, 12, sometimes only eight, but yeah. So, I mean, that's my basic sort of issue I've run into is uh, people who don't realize that, you know, a lot of times what other people said or why they failed was because they just didn't have enough data to confirm, and they made a mistake. You know, they had uh, a falsehood in their data because they weren't, they didn't have enough stuff in it, I guess, when it comes to that kind of stuff. Got it. And once again, based on the work you do, how well would you say the Senior Bowl has done in getting it, I don't want to use the term right, but uh, based on what predictive, right, based on things that are predictive in the work that you do, how well have they done at getting the guys who seem to have the best chance to be really good at the next level? I mean, the Shrine game is is better quarterbacks. I mean, yep. uh, mainly because, you know, Antonio Pipkin, there's nothing wrong with his tape. I think his tapes are, are all right. It's just but he's not my, I mean, he's not my, he's not my top D2 quarterback. Yeah. I mean, not that that you should go by my rankings or anything, but I wonder how many D2 quarterbacks they saw, I guess is what always occurs to me when I see right, things like that. Right, but not that. I mean, watching Alex Torgerson, yes. you know, again, and, and, you know, I mean, just equating that level of, like, watching him and watching Pipkin say it, I'm like, okay, why isn't Alex Torgerson there? If Pipkin's there, Torgerson should be there. You know, like that sort of mentality. So, I mean, there's there's a bit of that to it as well, at least with me. Um and some of this is also high school production sort of stuff, which I added that layer to things as well because I have a large enough sample size for that too. But, yeah, I mean, his high school production wasn't really that great. C.J. Beathard's high school production wasn't really that enjoyable, 17 out of 100, just to, to throw that out there. Um, Chad Kelly's high school production wasn't really that great. Of course, he has character issues. Yes. And, <laughs> and tape issues. Uh, Davis Webb's high school production wasn't really that incredible. Josh Dobbs was 23 out of 100, so yeah, that's not great. On top of the tape issues, he had Nathan Peterman, though, is okay. I mean, I don't think he's bad. Um, no. He's at the trying game, too. Uh, so he's, But apparently he couldn't uh, hold off the onslaught of uh, Josh Dobbs and hold on to his career, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but who knows? I mean, you know, there's lots of politics and stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> right. Sifu, though, Sifu's growing on me, though. I know it's Yay! I know, <laughs> I know that there's things on tape that you look at, and he doesn't look he doesn't look like a very pretty prospect. No. No, there's there's problems. I'm not – I'm a fan of his, but I'm not blind. <laughs> I can exactly. see that there's, there's some work involved, but – There's some work, but – 
you look at everything with him, I mean, he has appropriate age. I know some of these people don't really care about, but he's a fairly young player, actually. He had a very productive high, high school career, and he had a very productive college career. So, like, he hits at least three out of the three things you look for as indicators for a successful NFL quarterback. Tape-wise, yeah, there's some things there that, you know, worry you, but at the same time, can he run offense? Yeah. Does he make really? decisions? Yeah. yeah. Does he make, uh, you know, does he do all the things before the snap is made to be a successful quarterback? I would say yes. Yeah. So I feel the same way I kind of felt about Kessler and that there was things with Kessler on tape that you look at and you go, wow, I don't think this guy's going to be a great, you know, great quarterback. But you did see things from the mental side in terms of his ability to run the offense, his ability to get guys lined up in the right place, and leadership, all those different kinds of things to point to, hey, this is a guy that should be a backup or could start and not do terribly, you know, um, right. if he was asked to start for NFL team. So that's kind of where I'm at with him, at least. Is I, I think there's a lot of positives there despite some of the negatives of just him just not being very, you know, pretty prospect, if you will. You know, not being like five and, you know, looking like, a, you know, a god, if you will. And a now he's supposed to be six foot thing. four. Now I'm guessing you don't buy the six foot four. Uh, yeah, <laughs> six three, you know. Yeah, uh, he's probably he'll... six three and three eighths or three, something. Six three and a quarter, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, around there. Uh, but not bad. I mean, I, I – Height is less, as I usually say, height is more about what NFL teams want versus the actual, what the data actually said. So um, teams, in their mind, they want tall, white quarterback is all trying to say. Uh, so they they want to get that guy, even though there really isn't that, other than the fact that shorter quarterbacks are usually more efficient, statistically speaking, So, um, which I think has a lot to do with, you know, physical you know, they're shorter, they're more compact, they're, you know, there's there's a less range of, you know, less motion, you know, because you're shorter, you know, more, stuff like that, at least with mechanics. But, yeah, he's going to like that. Seth Russell, I just, I mean, he has a good story, you know, and everything else like that. But uh, I just, tape-wise, I just wasn't really feeling it uh, this year. Uh, high school production was five out of a hundred, which is really bad. And his <laughs> regular production was twenty-five out of a hundred this year. So this was a full year, anyways, because you know he missed half the year the other year. So, like, uh, there's just stuff there that I just don't quite see. So quarterback is something I felt that they could do better. You could do better in NFL if you were getting a guy like Zach Terrell and Alex Torgerson. I think they would be better in terms of that department, in terms of running backs, I feel like they got the running backs right, sort of, at the Senior Bowl. I like them more than the Shrine game running backs at the very least. Um, you know, Donald Pumphrey, Corey Clement just seems like a knee-jerk reaction, I guess. <laughs> like, oh, he's a running back. He played at Wisconsin. <laughs> we got, by go. law, we have to have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have one of those, yeah. So there's a bit of that. At that, but I like Matt Days and you know, I, I like you know, uh, Freem Hunt, so I felt like they did okay there. Wide receiver, I think, is the strongest group. I mean, all the wide receivers there, I think, are very good. Uh, in terms of you know, Austin, well, Austin Curry, but for the most part, 
other than Austin Carnot being there, I felt like they got wide receiver right. Tight end is a little iffy to me because I kind they. What's funny is the Senior Bowl t- got the H back tight ends, a good chunk of them. Uh, in fact, like guys, you know, guys like Gerald Everett and uh, the other yeah, yeah. Evan Ingram, yeah, Evan Ingram. So like they got those guys, which are more H backy guys. I mean, Gerald Everett, I would be surprised if he's 240 pounds. I'm just thrown out there. Like I, I think he's gonna be wide receiver-ish. And for the most part, I I think the Shrine Game got better tight, at least more interesting tight end. Uh, because, uh, you know, I, I saw a little bit of the tape with the Canadian guy, you know, Anthony Claire. Yeah. His tape is interesting, fun. but, you know, and once again, I'm not one of those guys that wants to overemphasize level of competition, but you know what I'm talking about. I mean. Sure. Right. <laughs> they, they do they do weird things, and the, <laughs> the, the end zones are wider. And, uh, you know, there's lots of stuff. Right, and, the, and a lot of the offensive guards and centers are 247 pounds. Yeah, yeah. But I like his attitude. Yes, so, right. Say that. I mean, he, he blocks, you know, even though he is, obviously he's having an easy time blocking the people he's blocking, at least he puts some pizzazz into it versus other guys. So uh, that's all I'm saying. I'm giving him an A for effort, you know. There you um, go. Well put. You know, a, a for effort. A and effort. But, yeah, so uh, – yeah, I, you know, I think he's – I just kind of like him a little bit more um, than other guys. But, yeah, tight end I think is okay. Offensive line, I actually like the senior offensive lineman more. The one guy I haven't – which is the craziest thing to me is Eric Ostell from Charleston Southern. Oh, yeah. Uh, Arch, was okay. the guy that I liked a decent amount. I went back and watched the tape again. He didn't play Florida State because of the whole incident that happened between – you know, spending money on things at a bookstore when he shouldn't, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> right. uh, and then got suspended from a game, which I thought was like, wow, you're 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 basically handicapping Charleston Southern before they have to play Florida State. This was right. This, this was not the Bobby Bowden wouldn't have handled it that way. He would have suspended it, but not for that game. <laughs> yeah. So I felt like there was some funny business, but yeah, I mean, he's the guy that I felt had good technique. I mean. He's not a guy that has a tackle frame per se, but I felt like guard was very much a possibility there. And, and I just felt like he's a guy who showed a lot of things. And the guys that they invited from the, the small school level, most of the guys I've seen, I just wasn't really that impressed with. So well, it seems like kinda, almost like a reputation as opposed to a tape thing with small school guys. Right. Yeah. And Jordan Morgan, I mean – you know, I saw I saw some film and like yeah he finishes his blocks and that's great but like I, I don't know. I'm just saying like I just felt like Eric Hostel put up decent tape this year and there wasn't really much of you know I mean I don't know there, there's things that Eric Hostel does that I felt like and who knows maybe he might get an invite late or something like that but I was very surprised that he wasn't invited to any of these major all-star games anyway. Yep, uh, yep. Because of how he played this year. Uh, and I know so, the NFL and, is fairly interested, so that was a surprise to me as well. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's guys like that. Ed Rusher, I felt they did well at the Senior Bowl. Cornerback, I felt they did well. Safety, uh, pretty much defensively speaking, I felt like they did a decent job 
defensively speaking. In fact, the Shrine game defensive side is, is lacking a little bit, except for linebackers. I like the linebackers at the Shrine game more than the linebackers at the Senior Bowl, and maybe that'll change. You know, some of the Shrine game guys get invited to the uh, Senior Bowl. I guess if you're really into the LSU linebackers, you'll like the Senior Bowl. If you're not, <laughs> like me, not really that into the LSU linebackers that much, uh, then you, you won't like the Senior Bowl linebackers. But yeah, I felt like the Shrine game kind of got linebackers right more. But yeah, for the most part, data-wise or whatever, I felt like they did a pretty decent job with the groups, the Senior Bowl at least. Uh, but there definitely is some things that could have improved uh, at quarterback and at uh, at linebacker, those are probably the two that stick out the most to me, at least, where they made some pretty big mistakes with certain guys they invited. Gotcha. Any other sort of glaring oversights, in your opinion? Uh, glaring oversights. Um. Well, I found out that uh. Well, that was announced today that um, Clemson, Clemson quarterback. Uh, oh, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Yeah, that that he was apparently eligible for the Senior Bowl now because he graduated in three years. Even though I thought you were had to be four years removed from, you know. You used to. Yes, that is correct. Uh, in the old days, I mean, in my day, a Senior Bowl. So, all participant met a guy who either had graduated or was on track to graduate and was a four-year player, you know, was a guy. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, so they, they would, they would, I guess in the last couple of years, they even allowed some redshirt juniors to participate as long as they were graduates. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's interesting. The only thing I, I think would be funny if they shave Deshaun Watson, you know, every single year they, if a player doesn't go there and he doesn't have a medical reason or something like that, they shame them. They go, these are the players that, you know, didn't go because they were, they just didn't want to come because their agents told them not to, or because they're just not cool. And then they <laughs> announce those names and then they go, shame. Ding, 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 shame. Yes. You know, yes, they uh, did do that. You are correct. But uh, I hope that doesn't happen to Sean Watson because, I mean, he shouldn't even be, to me at least, he shouldn't really be eligible, you know, because he's only three years. I mean, he's a junior. I know he graduated, but, like, you know, I yeah. mean, RG3 graduated early, but he didn't get a senior role. As did Andrew Luck. Play. As did, I mean, we could yeah. play this game all day. <laughs> so yeah. it, it looks like they're trying to, Either, you know, get him to show up, which I can, you know, they're thinking, well, you know, I mean, not that there's not always always a high in- level of interest in the Senior Bowl, but that would sort of jack it to the roof, I suppose, <laughs> I guess is what they're hoping. It's like, you know, hey, you know how much you enjoy the Senior Bowl? Well, now instead of being stuck with watching, you know, guys like, you know, Jacob Coker and, you know, uh, some stiff from from Wisconsin or whatever that we usually stick you with. Bethard. Oh, yeah, yeah right. Huh. But how about this? Would you be interested in watching some Deshaun Watson at the Senior Bowl? Yeah. And America as a whole is going to say, why, yes, please. Um, but it opens up an interesting can of 
somethings. I mean, I don't know if they're worms necessarily, but it's a can of something. If indeed this is a permanent thing and not a one-off, and I don't know how they justify it being a one-off, though I guess they can do whatever the heck they want. It's a fascinating question because the whole thing is called the Senior Bowl. Yeah, it's not the Junior Bowl. So it'll be interesting it's the graduation to see. Bowl, you know, or something like that. Yeah, so that's kind of odd. That's weird. I know what they're trying. I, I kind of get what they're trying to do, but at the same time, I think, man, have you just done better? You know, Alex Torgerson's still there. You know, like, like there's things that, or even, even. Um, uh, Nick Mullen, you know, is a yes. senior ball. He's a, Dane he's, Evans. Uh, he's the Shrine game. Yeah. You know? So there's things they could have done to improve things, but uh, it didn't happen. So, I mean, that's on you. It's your fault. Senior ball savage. So that, that, that's all. <laughs> that's, that's your plate. Now you got to eat it. So I agree. This is a sea change moment. If indeed, if indeed, if this is a change that they are making long-term going forward where graduated juniors will be treated as potential participants. Well, two things will happen. One is uh, it will encourage or possibly encourage more, you know, participation. I guess they're hoping more participation by some of the top players who are not seniors, which previously were not even eligible and maybe it will cause more players, I guess if they're interested in participating, to do things in terms of academics that will allow them to participate. I guess we'll see if this is, you know, something that is a real permanent shift in the way the whole game works. Because if it is, you know, what, wow. You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow indeed, man. You know, so those high school players can be hitting those AP classes pretty hard. <laughs> right, because that's how you, that's one of the ways you can set yourself up for this, I would imagine, is to, you know, show up. If you show up with 12 credit hours in, in the bank, it makes it a little easier to pull this thing off. Exactly. So, well, we'll, like I said, this is one of the things we'll have to sort of to be continued. We'll have to see what happens with this. The point, of course, will be moot if he politely declines. And, of course, if he does participate, you know, well, draft will go nuts for what happened if he there that participates, drafted will go nuts, and a lot of the people who have been taking shots about him being in a quote-unquote one-read offense and not having to... Really? You Surely you've seen the criticism. It's surely. not a one-read offense, I mean... I know. Well, certainly nobody's in a one-read offense. I mean... I mean like, a lot of his problems... There are a lot of two-read offenses. Hey, it might yeah. be one short, one deep. It might be one on this side of the field, one on that side. Everybody's got some second option. They may not, they may not use it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but sorry, go ahead, Jim. All, all I'm saying is, uh, it's not a one read off. It's 
No. I mean, it's more complex than that. I mean, his biggest problem to me is his decision-making this year. Yes. And last year, even, has been – just been missing, guys. That's all I can really say. Lots of opportunities. Instead of having to throw it into double coverage or triple coverage, which he does on occasion, because, and he has the arm strength to do it. It's just that when he when he doesn't have the accuracy quite right, it's bad. Uh, or if Mike Williams tips off exactly where he's going and then he trips and then, you know, that thing does. Um, you know, when stuff like that happens, it's bad. But at the same time, I just think a lot of it, you know, I, I have issues with Deshaun Watson in that. I do see, I see everything that you really would want in terms of arm-wise. You can pretty much hit every throw you want him to do. To do. Uh, he is athletic. He, his accuracy has always been, inconsistent, and some of that is mechanical sort of stuff which lots of people can get into because I'm not always the, the greatest in terms of describing that kind of stuff. But, I mean, there definitely is some things there where, like, he'll miss some He, he doesn't always error. marry up his feet with what's going yeah. on in his upper body mechanics. That I have noticed. Exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, there's some things there where there's that issue. But at the same time, I just feel like he has pretty much everything you're looking for uh, in terms of a starter. I don't quite I mean, I, I never really say, oh, this guy's going to be one of the greatest of all time. I never really do that. But I think it's kind of uh, interesting that a lot of people that bring up the problems he had this year are the same problems he had last year. Yes. It's just that he didn't have a wide receiver in Mike Williams that was tipping off everything he was doing to where if a mistake was made, uh, there's less likely. Like, if he misses Hunter Renfro, usually there's not another guy around Hunter Renfro. You know, most of the time he's open. You know, like he's he's, he's open. Pretty he's open. like Ryan Switzer. He's open pretty much all the time. Exactly. <laughs> like there's nobody around him. So like if he misses him, it's no big deal. If he misses Mike Williams, it's a big deal because he's never really he's open, open in the sense of right. physical body. Position. He's open in the sense that he is strong enough and long enough that he can prevent defensive backs from sometimes being able to make a play on the ball. He is almost exactly. never open in the sense that there's a couple of, even, you know, a foot, forget a, I mean, sometimes there's not even eight inches of actual separation between his body and the body of the defender. There's often, you know, a, the thickness of a, uh, you know, a E.L. Doctorow novel between he and the defender on a fairly regular basis. Exactly. So, I think a little. I think a little, Some of that has played into that. You know, because I do think there's a lot of people going, "Oh, well, he had a down year." Which, statistically speaking, he did. It wasn't as bad of a down year as you would expect. But there is reasons with Mike Williams being back that contributed to some of that. At least to me, I may be wrong, but I just feel like there. He does a lot of things well. Uh, I just think that there is – and decision-making, it didn't improve where it needs to be. But, huh, he's just he's just interesting to me. That's all I can really say. I just think there's a lot of stuff to kind of want to go back and watch some more um, to get into. But I just think sort of uh, the NFL, like there's been – there's lots of rumors, of course, and sometimes they're telling the truth, sometimes they're telling not. But there's lots of stuff like, oh, well – like the sort of like, oh, this is the worst quarterback class of 2013 talk and stuff like that. <sighs> like, really? It's that bad? I mean, 
I don't think so, but like, okay. Like, I just, I just think stuff like that happens, you know, it's more so like, it's not really me being, uh, not confident in sort of my views on guys. It's just more so of me going, wow, you think that way. Wow. But is there something I did wrong? You know, like, is that my not seeing something? So like, um, I think it's kind of like that with Watson, but, but I don't know. I mean, again, a lot of the things I think is people didn't watch his tape fully, and then they finally watched his tape, and then they started seeing all the issues that were already there. Because he's an aggressive player. I mean, he's aggressive. You know, he he takes chances with the football uh, a lot. Um, yeah. More than most, anyway. And uh, as a result, he's going to have picks. But I don't think it's it, it's as big of a – I'm not going to say it's not a big deal. I just think it's one of those things where – he has shown the ability to go through his reads and find guys open. It's not a one-read offense. It's just he's making it a one-read offense with sometimes just being too aggressive, you know, in terms of just sees that one, sees Mike Williams, because oh, I'm going to throw it to Mike Williams. It doesn't matter. I'm just throwing it to Mike Williams. He's my guy. Go up and make it. It's almost like the, some of the failings that Carson Palmer had when he had, like, Chad Johnson and Terrell Owens, you know, always going, give me the ball, give me the ball. I'm always open. When they weren't always open, you know. <laughs> Um, not all the time, but he's no. just like, all right, I'll give you the ball. And he wasn't open, and then a bad play happened because you know, he wasn't really, you know, he wasn't, you know, working the offense uh, to be the most efficient that it could be, which is kind of the goal of most quarterbacks anyway, depending on who you talk to. I know there's a lot of people who just want big plays and don't really care about efficiency, but I think that's <laughs> a little bit different than most coaches, <laughs> I would hope, you know. And I don't know what Patrick Mahomes status is in terms of graduation i'm guessing he has not graduated yet but uh obviously another junior declaree that uh i think will be another divider of not only draft twitter but some actual for real draft rooms in the nfl i think there'll be some people who will legitimately say we see a mid a mid-rounder and i think there'll be 15 to 20 teams that will see a guy that is maybe a mid to late first rounder. You and I both like Mahomes. Um, he's bounced back and forth between my QB one and QB two, depending upon how wild and out of control he may be from week to week. Uh, and then there's a debate about how much of what he does is fixable or natural, or do you want to fix or whatever. You obviously are one of the early Mahomes, as they say. Tell me about what things both metrically and in terms of tape analysis that you like and what things do concern you about the very talented uh, junior quarterback? Well, if you start with uh, high school, you know, you start right there. He wasn't really the best, most efficient guy. His biggest issue in high school, based on all the stuff I did, uh, was his, uh, completion percentage, mm-hmm. way way low for um, for where he's playing, and he didn't quite hit the 69 out of 100 threshold, which is the Matt Ryan threshold, by the way, uh, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. guys since that draft class, anyway, 2007 draft class, uh, kind of hit that area. So he's a little bit low in terms of that. Uh, his college production was better, but it took him a bit to get there, to say the least. Tape-wise, though, I don't really know. I mean, he has kind of bounced from my QB1, QB2. It's been kind of uh, uh, 
I've been kind of going from Luke Falk to him back and forth, kind of. It's kind of been my sort of thing. Luke Falk decided to go back to school. So, yeah, back on the homie <laughs> train again. Uh, I What I'll say about him is I think when you watch enough of his tape, uh, you do see a guy that even though he is playing in, in this offense that he's playing in and he has all this sort of stuff, similar to Derek Carr and other sort of spread guys, you see a little bit more nuance than you would from other guys. And all I mean by that is you see a guy who is trying to be deceptive in terms of what he does. You do see a guy that, that does take care to execute plays uh, in the way they need to be executed in terms of the offense. I mean, you see a guy who's taking care to practice his, you know, his drop sets, to practice his handoffs, uh, to practice his fakes. But he just has a issue, and I don't think it's really coached into him as much as just he plays in this Texas Tech offense. The defense gives up 50, 60, 70 points a game um, on occasion, and he's having to pretty much do everything. And, and that offense is a big, you know, big driver of uh, Texas Tech's offense, and most of the Tech's offense is a quarterback. And a lot of times he'll go off script. You know, he yes. will – yeah. do things, you know, people compare to Manziel, I kind of agree with that, only that he has much more arm strength and much more physical ability than Manziel did. I mean, Manziel's athleticism was that of a kind of weakish safety, um, you know, <laughs> what he does, but probably a little bit stronger, faster, uh, better arm. But I do get the concerns. I mean, I do get the sort of concerns that, oh, well, he just freelances all the time and he doesn't, but but I do disagree with that. There's also the concerns, oh, he, he can't win from inside the pocket. Well, he has won inside the pocket because sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll do some things to keep him inside the pocket and then he has to win and he does. Uh, I just think it, it's really a question of figuring out, okay, who he is from the mental side of things, you know, in terms of interviews, getting to know who he is, getting to know X's and O's with him, you know, talking that with him and that sort of stuff. And then going from there and seeing if you want to bet on the physical ability or not. A lot like Brett Favre, again, I don't want to throw that name around too much, but <laughs> a lot like a guy like that, right? you need a coach who, like Andy Reid, or, you know, somebody Rude, like that. Or... Rude, right. Who Mariucci. Really, Mariucci. You need a scenario where you have one of the best young offensive minds out there, West Coast preferably, to really coach him and, and have him, you know, and, and kind of have him also have that dedication and that focus and that drive to put in the work, and you could get a very special player because he has all the physical ability to do that. Um, and but, but the problem, of course, is that physical ability is one thing, but quarterback is always going to be a, a mental position. It doesn't matter. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people approach quarterback like the Carlo Jones method, but that's not how it works. Uh, you need to have some level of mental um, ability to, to mesh with the physical ability uh, to, to, to make that work. So that's all I would really say. I, I, I like Mahomes a lot. I do see the concerns, uh, which are legitimate concerns, but I still feel like if you're getting a guy who could do so many things, you just – it's cliche to say, but you just have to find the right coaching staff and it'll work out. And he could be really, really good if, if he gets to that scenario. 
if he ends up on a team that doesn't have a very good coaching staff and he just wins it, he could also still be decent to a certain extent, but he just won't really reach the heights that he could possibly hit if he actually had a, a really good quarterback coach um, really getting on to him about some of the habits he's developed uh, as a result of playing in that offense or just the way he is in general, you know, being kind of a gunslinger, um, you know, off the cuff, improvisational kind of guy, you know, and I don't think you can really coach that out of guys. Again, I, I think, you know, a lot like Brett Favre, even though he did have those years of brilliance, that mentality never left him, you know, like it's, it's always there. It's just, if you could minimize the negatives and emphasize the positives, and that's really what you're asking with college Mahomes. Yeah, that's that's the the thing that much like you sort of noticed with with Deshaun Watson, I would say Mahomes has generally been the better decision maker, but there's some mechanical issues, and he occasionally will make some frightening, I guess is the term looking for decisions. Occasionally, uh, he like so many strong-armed young quarterbacks, he truly believes he can make he can make any throw, any throw. That's right. And he makes some throws that only two or three other quarterbacks in all of college football would even attempt to make and gets away with a lot of things that he would not be able to get away with at the next level, quite frankly. Uh, the Big 12, and I'm, I'm not trying to take shots, but let's be honest, he, he's faced two or three really good defenses and then a, a few average defenses, and he's faced probably three or four very poor defenses. Yeah, I mean, he did go up against tough schedule. I mean, that that's that's definitely the next part I was going to get to is, you know, he, he didn't really play any, anybody really that significant other than, you know, big, I mean, Oklahoma really, I mean, you know, Oklahoma State maybe is probably the best. It's hard to really say who's the best Big 12 defense because all of them give up 40, 50 points usually. So, So there's some legitimate concerns about, well, obviously, you know, we said there's a legitimate concern about any of the, uh, any of the quarterbacks, uh, whether you're talking about, you know, senior or a junior, there's some, I mean, I'm a big fan, obviously, of Zach Terrell, but he's under the size that the NFL likes. He doesn't have a huge arm. He's extremely smart. He's going to crush the Wonderlick. Uh, I don't think anyone sees him as a potential starter. I think in the right system, he certainly could be one, but I can understand, like I said, why it is they have not embraced the concept of him being a starter at the next level. Uh, He doesn't look the part, quite frankly. And I see. Uh, You mentioned Peterman. He might get the Tom Savage treatment, speaking of uh, transfers to Pitt. Uh, he's going to be addressed by the Denver Broncos, man. And he's going to end up being their starting quarterback. <laughs> he very much could end up being their starting quarterback. Uh, the or Broncos. The yeah, Either or the one, Texans, yeah. right? Broncos are the Texans, right? Right, good point. Yes, excellent point. Uh, there's a lot of quarterback-hungry teams. And to me, you could do a whole lot worse than guys like Peterman and guys like you know, Zach Terrell, and I don't know why Ryan Higgins isn't discussed more, quite frankly. If you want to get super excited about a relatively small sample size quarterback who's a good athlete with an above-average arm, 
You could choose worse, in my opinion. Did you get a chance to, I don't know how much you've looked at, at these things, but have you sort of compared him or looked at him against the the thresholds that you use? And, and how did a guy like Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Higgins stack up? Well, in terms of his – well, in terms of his uh, college production, uh, he was 72 out of 100 this year, uh, which isn't bad. It's kind of starter level is how I would kind of equate it. Mm-hmm. There is a chance he could be Brett Favre, but I doubt that. Again, no, no I don't want Brett Favre. I, no, you know. no, I don't think he's Brett Favre. Um, I just say, like, the thing is, Brett Favre throws everything off, man. Because he, you know, I'm not saying he, he shouldn't have a Hall of Fame career. I'm just saying that he's one of those guys that, statistically speaking, like, there was nothing there saying he's going to be what he's, you know, going to become. And then he became it, other than physical ability. Um, but yeah, there, there's stuff like that that, uh, that. So I would say, is there stuff there that's like that? His high school production isn't really that great, though. Um, he was 37 out of 100 at the high school level. Again, 69 out of 100 is kind of what you're looking for in terms of NFL starters. So that's the only area where he kind of fails is uh, at the high school level. Um, at uh, Hutto, Ohio. I think Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's Ohio. But, yeah, that's that's the only area where he kind of fails. And I still need to watch his tape. That's the only thing. Um, there's been a couple guys that I just uh, – they weren't invited to All-Star games or whatever that I haven't actually – because I hit the, the All-Star game so it's pretty hard. And he's one of the guys that wasn't invited to any of the ones I looked at yet. But I definitely want to get to him because, uh, you know, you've been talking about him a lot. And also because you know, he did have some things that were positive. Yeah. Well, the first time I saw him was before uh, he got hurt, and it coincided with the transfer in of Driscoll. So last year it was, you know, basically drafted. He got hurt early in the season. Driscoll had transferred in, so that sort of set it up for Driscoll to have his his last year there. So Higgins had a good year the year prior, though. So I first spotted Higgins back in 2014, and then. You know, Driscoll came in, and people noticed Louisiana Tech and their wide receivers, uh, largely because of Driscoll. So I had written about Taylor and, and Henderson. Henderson at the time was just a sophomore, and the Driscoll year, and uh, and Jim Taylor was a junior. And then coming into this year, Higgins, you know, obviously Driscoll's gone. Higgins is healthy. He takes his job back just looks super efficient and accurate for the most part. You know, once again, you'll hear the same criticisms that people raise about. But here's what, like I said, who, if you're going to use the criticisms that people use for some of these offenses, you have to use it for use it for all of them. There's, first of all, as you pointed out, yes, it's not a one read. But a lot of there are a lot of binary offenses, a lot of ones where you go here or there, you know, short or deep, left or right, sure. or whatever. That that is. But I would all counter throughout. that. Yeah, go ahead. But I would counter that by saying that there's a lot of NFL offenses that have. <laughs> exactly, it's right too. Derek Carr plays an offense that I'm not saying that Derek Carr is dumb. I'm just saying that there's a lot of concepts to the offense Oakland Raiders run that are binary reads. Uh, same thing with Sam Bradford. Same thing with Kirk Cousins. Most West Coast offenses have a lot of binary, and usually it's the coverages that. I mean, there's more complexity to it because. 
you know, you might go cover three, so you go to this type of concept, and if you go up against this other, you know, uh, like you go to cover two, you go to this concept, but like there's that complexity to it and that you have to identify what the coverage is, but you're still going to a binary read, whether you like it or not. So I just, that's my only issue with people who say that um, is uh, a lot of offenses have binary reads. Yes, many. You know, and many. Um, so really and partially, what you're I mean, is, is how well does he perform with those binary Because there's some guys who suck at yes. binary reads. Yes. You know. Yes, people seem not to understand how, what what it takes to even pull that off. And the last thing is, I mean, we all love to see a guy, you know, get, get to his third or even fourth read. But he realize now you're over the magic 2.2 second mark. I mean, I don't care if you're Tom Brady. If you're getting to your fourth read, it's you better, a lot your, offensive line, your offensive line better be killing people you know, for you to get to the, your fourth guy. I mean, if you're Peyton, if you're Brady – I mean, I've seen those guys sometimes do it, but usually it meant, yeah, the line was really doing great work or they had to sort of make somebody miss. It is hard to get to your fourth read, no matter who you are. It rarely happens, quite frankly. And you can kind of sort of spot it because usually it means, like I said, something strange has happened. You have more time than usual. Yeah, the defense is tired, you know. Like right, the defense is tired. That the pass rushes. you go, wow, Wow, that the offensive line performed really like when it, if if you ever watch a you know a play and you're like wow that offensive line is doing pretty well that I mean that really happens you know um, or you're the Dallas Cowboys you know either or but yeah, right. you, want to think, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just have a really good line or uh, you know or you know or, or you have a quarterback who for every reason got lucky the defense got tired. And you were able to buy some more time to get to that fourth. Sure. Grade. I mean, Aaron Rodgers it does it a fair amount because he's able to extend plays when he's healthy. Yeah. He probably does it as much or more than anybody in the league, I would say, just because he's, well, he's Aaron Rodgers. And yeah. even those offensive lines are very, very good. Uh, I In the game-winning uh, pass he hit to Jordy Nelson, it was sort of like he, he – he, it was, I wouldn't say it was fourth. It was like he got back to his original. He went to, from Nelson to Devontae Adams to Richard Rodgers and then back to Nelson on that play uh, because Nelson got, got open late. So I don't know if that's really a fourth read, but it's the first read twice, your second right. and third read once. So how do we want to count that? And yeah, I could exactly. see it. I mean, I, was, I could actually – I was the way I was seated, I could look – down from where I because I was around the the Bears twenty nine is about where I was seated, so I could look. I'm looking, you know, slightly diagonally. I could see. This is one of the things where it, if I were just watching probably the television feed, I wouldn't have been able to spot this. But I could see, you know, there's Aaron Rodgers doing the Aaron Rodgers thing. You know, he's kind of he had a, a slightly pulled calf, so he wasn't moving as sprightly. He had a little hitch, but he's still moving around very fairly well. And I could see him. Uh, sort of flick around, you know, boom, boom, boom. And then I saw him, you know, sort of circle away a little bit and then get back to his first read. And by that time, Nelson has gotten deeper than all of the Bears defenders, which isn't supposed to happen in that situation, but whatever. Uh, yeah, the, the the thing that is interesting about the criticisms, right, because people have to criticize. They have to, you know, find something. Uh, and, of course, there's things to find. I mean, there's every single quarterback in this class. There's things you can legitimately say, 
as you said, Watson's decision making this year. We were expecting there to be a jump up between his yeah. decision making this year That's and the last. biggest thing. Yeah. Right, right. And there wasn't. Expecting it, improvement it stayed kind of close to the same. He did get physically stronger. Uh, you could see him get a little more zip on passes. You could see oh, him yeah. break some tackles that he probably wouldn't have broken when he's, you know, he's what, 206 or whatever he played, played at last year. He's reportedly somewhere in the 213, 214 range and probably still putting on weight, I'm guessing. So you could see. You know, he made gains in certain areas, but you never – once again, if you like to listen to interviews from the career of Peyton Manning, he talks about how it took him until his third year in the league to realize, you know, some plays are just dead and you just throw the ball away. You know, it took him a while to sort of – took him three full seasons of starting in the NFL to finally, for that to finally sink in. So it might not be – the worst thing in the world that you see talented college quarterbacks not realizing, hey, I can just, you know, toss this thing away. Or I can take this cheap little check down for a couple of yards. I don't have to necessarily try to force the ball downfield to my always covered WR1. Uh, it's an interesting situation because you and I both like Renfro, and, and I think Deion Kane is probably should have, seen a little more action as well at times. But for whatever reason, uh, partially because, I guess, you know, connections and chemistry and whatever, and he has a big body. I mean, people always talk about the big target. Uh, and, of course, Jordan Leggett is a big target as well, who does a lot of the same things, quite frankly, uh, who, but who may actually have a slightly better concept of how to run routes. Uh, even, well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Even so, Scott has a better concept of how to run routes. Um, I mean, yeah, Scott as well. Yeah, right. I, I just, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm reading into things too much, but I just feel like Williams got hurt. Hey, man, we bros. You know, I'm always open. Which, again, technically speaking, because of his size you know, and strength, it's his kind size of and strength, sort of true. Kind of always open, but, but it's. It's a high-risk throw. Anytime you're throwing it to Mike Williams, it's a high-risk throw. Not only because of the fact that he isn't the most deceptive guy, but also because sometimes he juggles the ball and he improved a bit. But there was still a little bit of fighting the ball, you know, during the season and stuff like that. So, like, that's all I'm really saying is, is there was a lot of things that you hoped that would improve, but it just didn't really improve. Guys like Deshaun Kaiser, for example – his biggest issue to me was with mechanics, was with breeds, was with just the mental side of the game. And on top of that, having Brian Kelly, <laughs> the ever watchful, you know, Joe Taylor just waiting to yank him back, and, you know, um, stuff like that. And also just completion percentages, you know, and a lot of that, again, had to do with mentally speaking. You know, he would get to his second read and he would just freeze up. Like, he didn't exactly know where his next read was, um, which I think he didn't. You know, like, I think there's a lot of that, too. Right, <laughs> right, right. The Clemson game, for example, you know, Will Fuller was open a lot in that yep. Clemson game. You know, Notre Dame played Clemson that one uh, in 2015. 2015, yeah. But Kaiser was so stuck on that first, second read, didn't really get to Will Fuller, and, you know, it was over, you know, pretty much. You know, just 
not some of that is just not having enough time, but a lot of that just I felt was him just not being confident in where everybody was, and, you know, where you know, like it was just sort of that. And I think that's one of the bigger issues with Kaiser is just him not really being in full command over what's happening in that offense, and as a result, making mistakes and everything else like that. On top of all the other sort of little things here and there, but I think that was the biggest issue with, with Kaiser is just him not having full command of the offense, like. I I really believe that Watson had Watson. I think was more of an overconfidence thing. You know, yeah. I, I felt like he knew he knew where guys were. He just wanted to get to guys. Just hey, I can do this. You know, I have the arm strength to make this throw. I don't really, even though Renfro's open, I don't really care. I'm just trying to, you know, I can make this throw. You know, I can do this. Um, and sometimes he could. Sometimes he could make those those really uh, really good deep outside the hash type throws and double and double coverage. Other times that was a pick six or you know something else happened. Uh, so uh, I just felt, I just felt it was overconfidence mostly with with uh, with Watson, um, and as a result, you know those mistakes kind of happen. And obviously we don't yet have a decision, though I suppose one is coming soon from Mitch Trubisky. And I feel sort of funny because I was, you know, obviously very early to the Trubisky party because I, I started I started talking about him a little bit about uh, his, uh, you know, when he was still filling in for Marquise Williams last year. And you know, very quickly, you know, it was that escalated quickly. That escalated very quickly. He Within a few of his starts this year, people were talking about him as, you know, a possible QB1, which, you know, obviously premature on several levels. But once again, based on the work you do, how does he stack up metrically? Well, considering that he only has one year, um, it was a good year. It wasn't quite Cam Newton, though. But it was a 90 percentile finish this year, which is pretty good. It's a pretty good place to be. Um, it's where most of the All Pro quarterbacks are. I don't think he has anything in common with, with uh, Steve Young, though, um, at all. But that's kind of the closest, like, really special quarterback he tested towards. Uh, the only problem I would say is a lot of the stuff I've done, one year quarterbacks typically. There are there are many one year wonder quarterbacks who do end up having mm-hmm. decent careers, but they're just never quite the most efficient. They they never quite have, you know, like there's no multiple All Pro quarterback that only had one year of experience. There's no multiple Pro Bowl quarterback that had only one year of experience. It's mostly guys that become starters. Uh, well, except for Cam Newton, that's the only guy I would say. Cam Newton's the only guy, but even then, his passing efficiency is a little iffy throughout most of his career in the NFL. So that's the only thing I worry about with Trubisky is from that perspective. And high school level-wise, he did okay. I mean, he was about 83 out of 100 at Ohio. So, I mean, for the most part, every indicator is there for him. Um, When I saw his tape, the first time I saw his tape was against Georgia, and I felt like he looked Christian Hackenberg-y to me. Um, Just initial impressions. But then when I went back and watched more tape, I did see – the one thing I can say about him is he makes a lot of 
really difficult throws look easy, um, you know, kind of effortlessly at times, making, you know, really, really hard throws. Like certain throws that other guys just can't do because they don't have the arm strength or the touch, he does, you know, with um, with ease. And so that's really what's impressive. But in terms of decision-making, it's all over the place. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that, that struggles also that, with those types of things and just experience. I think a lot of this is just his experience at the position is really what um, the main concern is. But if you're just talking about pure arm talent and pure, pure ability, I mean, not necessarily arm strength, but just in terms of touch, uh, you know, knowing how to accurately gauge things and just ease of, 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 uh, He's of throws that he makes. He does that really well. But I do have lots of questions. He's more of a day two guy, at least to me. I don't really see a first rounder. If he were to declare, I hope he comes back. But uh, but he is impressive just because he makes difficult throws look easy, easier than most of the guys in this class. And that's what I think has people falling in love uh, is how easily many of the things that are either difficult or even just things that some people just can't flat out do. He does, as you pointed out, with seemingly minimal to no effort. He seems to have a tremendous natural feel for which, how to throw to which receiver, how to place the ball to keep it away from the defense. He is a pretty decent decision maker even. The thing, like you said, I think he definitely can get fooled by defenses that have the ability to to not be where he thinks you're going to be, uh, which some of that is, as you pointed out, could just be lack of game experience. I mean, I think he would be helped enormously by at least, you know, starting 20-something-odd games. I think, you know, he's right now right around the, you know, the magic uh, Sanchez number. Is it 16 starts or something like that? Something like that. I think he's right around yeah, that number. Yeah. That's obviously a, a you know, fairly – Fairly or unfairly, it's a number that many people find concerning. And the other thing that stands out to me is, I mean, I'm not going to say that he's, you want a certain amount of emotion and things like that, but I think sometimes he can be shaken a little more than I'd like to see by, when he does make a mistake or when he does struggle, yeah. or he does to, I'd like to see him shake it off a little more. He's kind of Jake Browning in that effect, yeah, in terms of, be a little too, you know. Down on himself. Down, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then again, he could just be Eli Manning, but, you know, who knows. I, or maybe not that, but, yeah. But again, I just think that's experience-based, too. Sure. I mean, it's kind of like what Kaiser's been going through, is just not having a real great grasp of anything, and, and the team's losing, and you're at fault, and, you know, and not – never having to deal with that until now, you know. Um, but, and sure, there's certain guys who may get over that, but I'm just saying, like, it's, it's not something you usually expect out of a, out of a guy who's only started one game. But, yeah, I, I do kind of see that a little bit, terms being too down on himself with certain things that happen. Yeah, so immaturity is super important at, it's important, period, but, I mean, obviously, we're talking about playing quarterback. I don't know if people quite understand what what is entailed if you're going to do that at the NFL level. You have to 
walk into a room that might have guys who are 31, 32, 33 in a few cases, maybe even in it, you might have Steve Smith Sr., right? I mean, well, not anymore, but you could be in a situation where someone who's like that, Anquan Bolden, whoever you want to throw out there, a person who's extremely highly respected has been playing for a very long time, you'd have to walk in there and yell at them, depending upon what's going on. And not everybody has that in them, especially not somebody who's standard only a handful. I mean, basically one season and a quarter or whatever uh, in this case. And that's a lot to ask, or one season and a third maybe. But it's a lot to ask of anybody, but especially a lot to ask of someone who's that inexperienced. And so you set up the one-year well, one year, one year wonders. Who are some of the guys who you thought were comparable or, or, or even had have been long-term starters or reasonably successful? Among the guys who started, you know, fewer than 20 games, I guess, is what they yeah, did. Yeah, pretty much. Or guys that only really had one full season, like guys that maybe missed the season due to injury and then had another season and that was it. Um, so, yeah, a guy, you know, Burt Jones. Oh, my gosh, Burt Jones. Gosh, he, guys. speaking of special arm talent, <laughs> that's yeah. a guy with special arm talent. Wow, could Burt Jones throw a football? Yeah, but and of course, Cam Newton's probably the most obvious one, you know, that comes to mind. Um, you know, but he, but he was in the, he was, you know, he was around for a while. He just didn't start. Uh, but of course, he finally got his start, and then he went off like crazy. Uh, Brock Osweiler not doing too well, but <laughs> he only had one full year. Yes. Stuff. We all right. know about I remember, I don't know if you and I knew each other on Twitter yet, but I remember saying how I thought that was an enormous mistake. And I know he wasn't happy at Arizona State and his coach got fired and whatever else, but oh, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was, that was bad. Um, so yeah, there, there was that sort of thing. Um, other players, I don't think Campbell, no, no, he's pretty much part. There's not a ton of them, say that much. Which doesn't, doesn't surprise me, yeah. Shouldn't surprised. surprise you, of course. Uh, 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 yeah, Purchase starts to. Oh, yeah, Colonel Stewart, Colorado. <laughs> had very few starts. Interesting. Uh, in terms of his career. Versus Cricket really good at law. I mentioned Sanchez. Michael Vick, of course. Right, yeah, well, I remember Vick's career, and he was one of the early, you know, I mean, he and Tommy Maddox are, you know, amongst the early sort of redshirt sophomore quarterback to Clarys, and, you know, you just don't see that very often, obviously, but I remember quite the debate about Mike Vick when he came out, and people. You know, some people thought it was a great idea, and people pointed out, well, you know, Virginia Tech doesn't really develop quarterbacks anyway, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, stuff. yeah. Yeah, but he also was a super-duper athlete, though. Yes, so. correct, yes. Yeah, kind of like Ken Newton, but, um, yeah, Steve Bono from UCLA. Steve Bono, yes. Yeah. I remember him battling with Rick Neuheisel for the starting job at UCLA back in the day. Yeah, Tony Banks. Oh, boy. The legendary Tony Banks, yes. Yep. Remember him? Vince. Well. 
Vince Evans from USC. Who had a long career mostly as a backup, but was a starter both. Had one, yeah. And, he had one or two very good seasons, but mostly was a backup. Uh, obviously started some for the Raiders, started some for the Cow- uh, Cowboys, but the uh, Bears in his long, long career, 17, something like that, NFL years. And that's it. Yep. I'm not shocked. Handful of guys. You know. And none of them all pro. Uh, a couple of them had multiple Pro Bowl years. But then again, I mean, these are – again, I'm not trying to say that Cam Newton is not a good player. I'm just saying if he wasn't athletic, would people love him as much? I'm just if – he, if, he wa- if he wasn't, like, super athletic, super competitive, like all this physical ability, I guess is what I'm trying to say, would he be loved as much? Obviously, I think a lot of that plays into that. But I'm just saying, in terms of efficiency of passing, never right. really been there. Michael Vick wasn't really there until he met Andy Reid. A little late, though. But, you know. And also, he was just a much more mature guy at that point in his life anyways, you know. Um, so I think it was kind of a perfect sort of marriage, I guess, um, for both of those guys. But, yeah, for the most part, it's not – you know, the, the roads are not paved. The quarterback success is not paved with guys that only had one total year of starts or less than that. Right. At least. Right. Right. No, quite quite the opposite. Generally has been paved with the opposite of success for the most part. You know, and guys who have flamed out in some cases altogether or, as you said, you know, been backups is usually what the story has been with, you know, a few successes, but so moving on, obviously, from the, the much-discussed quarterback class, there's some, there are other players. Uh, amongst some of the most recent Dick Clarice, and a, once again, a, a younger player, uh, and a, a Stanford guy who declared early, Solomon Thomas is a Richard sophomore, has declared, and you know, once again, a dominant enough player that I have really no con- no real con- real concerns. So, tell me a little bit about what you see in him, and what what kind of player do you think Solomon Thomas could be? He's a destroyer of worlds. What he is, uh, he destroys offensive oh, wide dreams. Uh, all I can really say is, you know, whenever. When Jonathan Allen was being compared to Jonathan Sue um, oh at that point, I was just kind of like, okay, uh, okay. But then when I went back and watched Solomon Thomas, especially against Notre Dame, now, again, I'm not saying he's as good as Jonathan Sue. He's not. Right. But he had the type of impact in that game against Notre Dame, which was Sue light in terms of being right. everywhere. You know, I, I, right. We don't talk about range of defensive tackle a lot, but, but we should. It's something that the elite players have, you know, is the ability to go, which is what separates Jonathan Allen from Solomon Thomas. Is that again, when Jonathan Allen is chasing a guy sideline to sideline, there comes a point where he goes, "I'll let the linebackers take care of this." You know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know, like, and and, and again, I get it. You know, you're a big, lumbering. You know, stout, strong guy. You're not, you're not built for, for uh, track. Not, right, you're not Erlacher. Yeah, 
you're not that guy. You know, I'm, I'm a defensive lineman. What am I doing over here type of mentality? But when it comes to Solomon Thomas, that's the one thing he has. He is very instinctive, um, very good in terms of getting a sideline to sideline for a defensive tackle, um, which is what I consider him to be, and has explosiveness and speed. It's good balance, uh, powerful with his hands. The only thing I would say, there is lots of things to improve upon in terms of just, you know, improving on his tech in terms of variety of moves, just getting better at some of his counters at times and his hand usage. But the hand usage he has already is violent. And I think that that's, um, that's the thing I like. I like guys that have violent hands because it's something that he can improve upon, you know, a little bit, you know, in terms of, and stuff like that. But yeah, I just think he's just, he's such a, he's just one of those guys where like, even though I think he could have benefited from another year, you know, to improve and, and perfect a lot of things, I just think he's been so dominant this year, been one of the most dominant defense tackles in college football this year, yes. that I just have no problems with him coming out right now. I was actually surprised he did declare because he's a favorite guy. And most of his comments and tweets before he declared was kind of like he was coming back, you know, like he wasn't a former Brad Kai and, you know, making comments like, you know, well, we left the U better off than we, you know, than we had it. Stuff <laughs> like that. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, you're kind of basically saying you're coming out, right? That's that's what it sounds like from that statement. But, yeah, but yeah, I was actually surprised by Thomas. But, yeah, he, he just says such – comparison-wise, I don't really have one right now because a lot of times when I do comparisons, I do – mostly on, you know, how big they are. I try to get as close to physical ability and style of play as possible. I don't quite think he's Sue level. He's not J.J. Watt. He's not any of those types of guys. He's just a really good player, and I think there's a lot of potential there as a three-tech in a, you know, or just as some sort of pass rusher penetrating type of defensive tackle. I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, I, I've I've thought of at least a couple of players, you know, and Russell Maryland to some extent, Jerome Brown to some extent are guys that that I can see some of in in watching um, watching his play. He's as you mentioned earlier, tremendously mobile for a man his size. He probably could be bigger. So the other the other thing that stands out about him, or amongst the things that stand out about him, is that he certainly has clearly a, a high level of intellect. Uh, you know, once again, sort of a stereotype with Stanford players and all that good stuff, and you know, instincts and things like that. But he's also a guy who can clearly do more than one thing on a football field. He can give you interior pass rush. He occasionally, in certain situations, steps out, you know, and becomes, uh, you know, I wouldn't say an actually an edge rusher, but he, you know, plays five technique ish. He does five technique ish things at times. He takes on guards. He takes on centers. He occasionally takes on tackles. He gives everybody trouble. Uh, what are he, we talking about? Solomon Thomas. Oh. So. As we were saying, 
there are a lot of teams that there's almost no team that can't I would think could not find a way to use him. So if you are you know a team that truly is a you know an odd front, you might potentially see him as a as an end, though he's not super long. So I guess that's the the only concern there. But he's powerful and really understands you know, how to hold the point and develop ways to get pressure. And for teams that do see him as a four eye or a three tech, uh, there are plenty of, of teams that could use him there as well. And I see you've been joined by Isaiah Fee. So Isaiah, give me some of your thoughts on, on Solomon Thomas. Yeah, I'm not a really big fan of him. Okay, well tell me tell me why or what things have you spotted that give you concern. Well, I mean, I'm not a big fan of him because people are already seeing him as a first-round talent. I see him as maybe a third or early fourth-round pick. Um, again, like you said, long form. I don't think he's really that – I mean, I really don't think he's all that disruptive. Um, I think he can be a very good pass rusher or, you know, tackle depending on scheme. But I think you have to have other pressure on the other side, of course. I don't think he can be the main anchor attack. Yeah, well, I mean, I see him primarily as an interior player, and he's been as disruptive as any interior player in this draft, if not, well, this not, draft, yeah. Yeah, not the most disruptive uh, consistently. So I think he's the kind of guy who, in special packages, might line up on the outside. But generally, he's an interior guy. And there's clearly a place in the league for interior pass rushers. So – what is it about Stallman Thomas that, like I said, concerns you most? I mean, what things do you think would prevent him from being able to translate well to the next level, Isaiah? Um, you know, not having really long enough arms. I don't think he has enough power. Um, I mean, most of these players don't have a second move, but I would, if I were him, I would find a second move. Okay. And I mean, it's pretty that's... much just simple stuff. I just my only issue with him, I don't see him as a day one talent. Well, if if D tackle is a position that teams need, and who else do you in your mind would be a possible first rounder then amongst the the D tackle class? To be honest. When you draft, you're not supposed to draft for need. You're supposed to draft best player available first off. But I don't see a defensive tackle worth being picked in the first round. There's okay. plenty of second or third round guys. I don't see one truly as you know a special talent. That's what you're drafting the first round blue chippers. These, these blue, blue chip talents. I don't see any a defensive tackle. Okay. And that may not be an incorrect way to see things. Uh, most people think there's a, at least a couple, but, you know, obviously you're not required to think what other people think. I think that a lot of people see Jonathan Allen and... Well, a five technique or an end for him. Maybe. Or three technique. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm not as sold as some people are on Allen as an exterior player. No, a lot of a lot of his best plays have come on the interior. A lot of the best plays of Jonathan Allen have been against guards and centers. Just in case you, I don't know how much tape you watched, but I see him make some plays on the outside. But I'd say seventy percent of his most impressive plays have been on the interior. 
me, I can see him actually like on the Jaguars opposite uh, Dante Fowler. Dante Fowler. <laughs> yes, the legendary Dante Fowler. Uh, Dante Fowler. <laughs> so, uh, Do you not like Dante Fowler? Well, I've never been a huge fan, as you'm sure you remember. And uh, it's, not like he's, it's not like he's done anything. Well, he was also out for the last year. Yes, so last, I know, I know. Last year was basically his rookie year. Right. No, but even when he was healthy, he wasn't, you know. To be fair, Yannick Ngakwe had more sacks on the team than he did. Or more. Yes. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, he was. Oh, we'll see. I mean, obviously, it's still early in his career, but I, I just thought it was way too early to take a guy who you were talking well, about. Well, if he people wouldn't have the Jaguars, Richards were there to take him. Yes. Uh, weren't you just criticizing a player who didn't have enough moves? I mean, yes. wasn't that a problem not, for I'm you? Not, wasn't that a problem for you? I'm not, I'm not saying I like Fowler. I'm just saying for where he went, if you're going to help with that pass rush, find somebody who you know, handles enough pressure in there. Right. Well, here's what I'm saying. You have a guy who you're taking as high as we're talking about in mm-hmm. the case of Fowler, who doesn't have one thing he's really great at, first of all. But mm-hmm. you're talking about a guy who's going to be a pass rusher. And, I mean, hey, I wasn't – I was critical of Beasley too, but at least Beasley had counters. You know, he had two or three different That's things they might come at, with, at you with. Pass. Right. Fowler. He loved the league in tax this year. Right, exactly. But I'm saying I was critical of him, right? But at least Fowler had that. Fowler had the ability to have more than one answer to the test. You know, if somebody asked him a different question, he could come up with a different answer. My point is that Fowler could not, or at least did not, do that. You, feel, you see what I'm saying? So even, yeah, even without the injury, right, the injury matters. I'm not dismissing the fact that he got hurt. I mean, you can't do that. You have to be a cognizant of that. But I'm saying even when healthy, he was kind of a one-trick pony, and his one trick wasn't overwhelming. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like it was something that NFL left tackles were going to have no answer for, even when he was 100% healthy. That's Personally? Outside of Miles Garrett, I think tackle Charlton may be the most, uh, probably one of the top most complete defensive ends in this class. I mean, you can line them up that defensive tackle if you want them to, but that's out on the edge. Well, that's well, that's interesting. So what is it tackle Charlton does better than, say, Solomon Thomas, who you seemingly weren't all that impressed by? <laughs> that's a good question. It's an excellent question. I would love to hear an answer. I really don't. He's got long arms. He's like taller. Tackle. He's got the traits, though. Right, but Bigger. he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the tape. <laughs> People get, you know. He's got long arms, Bill. He's got <laughs> right. long arms. Yes, he does. If only those long oh. arms were making more plays, I might be a little more impressed. He's like, okay. he's like Malik McDowell playing edge full time. That's what oh, he is. Oh, God in heaven. <laughs> um, you talked about you mentioned Mike McDowell, but uh, another guy that I am curious on your opinion is a guy I really like, Carlos Watkins. What? What are, you, what are your opinions of him? Well, Carlos Watkins is an interesting prospect. Now, once again, 
there's questions about how you would like to use him or what you what you're I mean, gonna do with him. He, he's good at rushing the quarterback too. I mean, he's not a one dimensional player. Right. No, I'm just saying. Okay. Well, I'll start with you. I'll start with you. I mean, I'll answer your question with a question. So, what what do you think he is at the next level? Let's start with that. Probably a three tech or a nose. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know if he can be a. I mean, who knows? Maybe. Maybe he can be a nose. I mean, nowadays, I guess the standards for what a nose is have changed from these Sam Adams, Ted Washington days. Um, the kid's like 302 pounds, uh, which, you know, in my day certainly wasn't a nose uh, for the most part. Uh, well, he's got your smaller playing nose tackler. Right yeah, well, that's because of spread offense in college. Uh, but he's not going to be – we're talking about the next level. So, But let's say that you think he can play – he can get up to, you know, 312 or whatever. I don't know what the minimum is nowadays, but say he does that and he's, he plays nose, do you think he's going to be able to make a huge impact? I mean, I think he'll play. At, I think he's a three-tech, uh, but even if you see him as a nose, I mean, he could be a rotational nose, I guess. I, I keep thinking if you just, if the you know, let's say the Seahawks decide just to come right at him, he's going to get pushed around <laughs> pretty good. Uh, as a 300 and whatever it is. I mean, like I said, I think he played this year at just barely over 300 pounds. And he could certainly weigh more. I'm sure he could put on 15 pounds if they wanted him to, but I don't I don't know if that necessarily would be enough in my mind to make me see a, a starting nose tackle in the NFL. Well, I'm going, going off on what, what you think he is. Right. Well, what I think he is is a three-tack is what I think he is. But I'll ask Jim, too. Jim, what do you, what do you think of uh, Mr. Watkins? Back to practice squad guy. Oh, me. <laughs> I mean, Personally. I just I I've never been impressed with his tape. I I know he's gotten day two hype. Um, I yeah, I'm on day two. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, like it, it was a guy where people are like, yeah, check this Carlos Watkins, man. He's gonna be a first rounder or second rounder. Then check him out, James. Okay. I take him in Put the third the round. I think that'd be a steal. I don't quite mm-hmm. see it production wise. You know, it's funny you say no tackle because all the guys that are as productive as him are no tackles, and yet that wasn't the position he was playing. No. Um, you know, so guys like Isaac Silvaga and Ron Edwards. Taylor are guys that are kind of where he's at, but not really. Those guys are even more productive than him. Yes. Well, Bill Taylor was decently productive, yeah. I would say best-case scenario, based on all the stuff that I do, based on the film I saw, which wasn't really that impressive, based on, you know, stuff I've seen, um, I would would say best-case scenario, backup, practice squad guy. Uh, Practice squad guy. I mean, I, I'm not going to say practice squad, but I, yeah, I, I mean, I agree that I think he's a reserve, uh, rotational, rotational, whatever term you want to use, and I think he's a three tech. Uh, I, I, I don't, I think if you use, especially if you try to play him at nose, he's you have a world of trouble but holding up. Is he worse than Brady Jarrett? I mean, they played. No, he's nowhere near the player that Grady Jarrett is. Not Grady Jarrett. He's, he's mean, nowhere near the player. He can't even. hold a candle to Grady Jarrett. What are you kidding? Is he I mean, worse? At least Grady he's Jarrett was good. Jarrett, he gets helped a lot. Despite being smaller, around. despite being smaller, Jarrett was more powerful in short areas, much quicker had much more developed technique, better pursuit, 
better instincts. I mean, the two aren't comparable. Jared's a much better player. I only bring them up because I went to the same school. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. He wishes he was Grady Jarrett. <laughs> Put it that way. He wishes he was, he was Shaq Lawson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably also true. I mean, I'm not saying there's nothing there, because there's something there. There's something to him. I'm not disputing that. But, um... Okay, we talked about these pass rushers. So... Fernando is still my number two. So let me just – you mentioned you're not wild about the tackle class. So, Isaiah, who, what are you wild about? Who, what are the things that do have you excited about the class? Sorry, can you repeat the question? I'm sorry about that. Sure. So you said you're not wild about the ta- the offensive well, – I'm sorry, the defensive tackle class. I don't know how you feel about the offensive tackle class. You said you're not wild about the defensive tackle class. What are the things that are of interest to you? You know, what, what are you impressed by? What are you excited about? What do you want to see more of? That kind of thing. Um, personally, I'm more probably a little bit more excited about this corner slash safety class a little bit more. Um, I don't see you guys a lot of higher up. Um, I think this is an interesting class for like other positions, but I think this pass rush class is probably as deep deep as it's been in years. I mean, there are guys you know you can find later rounds that I mean give you the same production. Uh, probably the outside linebacker class. Okay, who are your favorites amongst that group? Well, one is Garrett, of course. So you think he's a linebacker? Oh, well, I mean, that's what he's listed as, outside linebacker. Really? Hmm. All right. Based off what, I wonder, but okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a position he hasn't played, and the kid could probably weigh 277 pounds if he wanted to. Uh, he's, what, 262 now, I believe, which, you know, I guess isn't huge, but whatever. Uh, sure, why not? Okay, keep going. Sorry about that. I'm actually moving something at the moment. Okay, well, I'll bring it back to Jim Covert then. So, Jim, um, there are all kinds of new, funny, sexy, exciting metrics used to quantify things about pass rushers, edge whatevers, whatever you want to call them. Uh, all kinds of fun, interesting acronyms and whatnot have all popped up in the last couple of years for people to quantify, you know, the quantity, the quality, the depth, the thickness, the richness, the robustness of sacks and pressures and all that good stuff. For you and the work you do, how do you measure what edge players, pass rushers, whatever the heck you call them, how do you how do you measure what they do and what things do you look for? Well, the top three that I do, at least production-wise, 
uh, is solo tackle market share, sack market share, and tackle for loss market share. Uh, solo tackle market share, at least to me, gives you a good perspective on if they're a guy that makes plays away from the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, we talk a lot about guys that are like one trick, not really one trick ponies, but guys that are all or nothing. Either they get to the quarterback and make a sack or get the running back and do their thing or they're, they're done. You know, Dwight Freeney, guys like that. Right. Uh, which they're not bad players. It's just no, that, he's a borderline Hall of Famer, yes. Right. Yeah, it's, it's just once you get to the quarterback, you, it's basically a question of, like, what do you value more, the guy that gets to the quarterback and gives you those extra plays away from the line of scrimmage or the guy that only gets to the quarterback in the backfield but doesn't get the things, you know, the things away from the line of scrimmage. So, like, those are the basic ways to – do that. I also added things like age and, and strength of schedule to kind of beef stuff up in terms of uh, Patrick's stuff. And the results have been, you know, interesting. Um, I also did defensive market share at the NFL level, and most of the production, at least how they produce at the college level, showed up at the NFL level. So it's just a matter of if they can translate the college, what they did in college, to what happens in the NFL, which does happen. Sometimes it doesn't, but at the same time, I, I think it does give you a good idea of the types of players that they could um, that they could be. But yeah, that's that's pretty much what I use for edge rushers. On top of all the other sort of athletic stuff that gets thrown in there, you know, force players, whatever you want to call it. Um, for the most part, with edge rushers, you're looking for guys that are explosive and guys that are uh, flexible which I think has a lot to do with leverage, especially. It's things like it's, – it's the reason why Bosa has been so effective this year is he is ex- very good in terms of his – you know, probably one of the most uh, polished editors we've had to come out in a while. Yep. But on top of that, he was extremely flexible for his size, uh, which gives him the advantage of, of being a tall, long guy who can also, you know, out-dip guys and out-bend guys, if you will. Uh, which is what everybody missed out with him, is that, sure, he's not the most explosive player ever, uh, which he was relatively explosive, but he is the most bendable guy. So you get a guy like that, and you basically get Jared Allen 2.0, and you got people wondering what happened. You know, he wasn't really fast. He wasn't really explosive. Why is he so good? It's like, well, yeah, it's a combination of, you know, combination of just him being a really good, Polished pass archer, right? A and technician, like that, right? And having that ability to outbend his opponents with his height and everything else like that to win leverage battles. It is what it is, man. You, there's different ways to win in the NFL, and he just happens to have one of those ways that the best ones had. You know, in terms of right. guys like uh, Demarcus Ware and Von Miller. I'm assuming Bosa was a, was not a force player, right? Well, I. You have to ask Justice. I think he okay. may adjust things and make him a force player eventually. Oh, did he? You know, oh, okay. He probably <laughs> has to. He has to. You have to do that when that happens. You know, you got to adjust some things. Oh, I made a mistake. I'm going to fix it again, um, which he's done every year. But, yeah, which is nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's kind of inconsistent. You know, every year it changes. The goalpost changes, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I would just say that, you know, there's different types of pass rushers in terms of athleticism. Right. But for the most part, you're just finding a guy that has at least one athletic trait that does that he uses well, that he wins with on tape, if you will, 
consistently and add that to being really, really productive. And then you get great players like Derek Thomas, like Simeon Rice, like Terrell Suggs, like Justin Houston, like Sean Merriman, like Von Miller, you know, all those guys pretty much had every, they check all the boxes off in terms of athleticism and production. And a lot of those guys are some of the best, if not the best pass rushers in the last 20 years, you know, or plus. So, yeah. Right. And let's see. A lot of people have been down on, uh, complained about, been critical of the tackle class, the other tackles, offensive tackle class. Is Isaiah still with us, or are you dragging things around again, Isaiah? Well, I was moving a mattress out. Oh, excellent. And (laughs) did did you win? (laughs) I did. Excellent. Um, Focus and finish. Uh, tackles, offensive tackles this time. Uh, one, who do you like, and how do you feel about the class as a whole? Blah. Okay, got it. Agreed. <laughs> okay, and e- even in a class that's kind of blah, who do you like? Uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, Temple guy, he's probably my number one tackle of the year. Deion Dawkins? Deion, or Deion Dawkins, yep. He's your top tackle. Well, sure, and Cam Robinson. Oh. <laughs> I mean, this class, I mean, there's potential left tackles, but really, there may be several, you know, those plug and hold guys, you know guys that will get you over for a couple of years so you find a franchise left tackle. I mean, this is that kind of class. I mean, it's a better interior class than it is a tackle class by far. Now, Jim, obviously you don't get production metrics for tackles, but some people use things like how few pressures or how few sacks or how few... How many times they got beaten, or however they measure it. So tell me about, based on what you do and how you do it. How do you see the tackle class, Jim? I actually think there's a lot of really good players in the class. I just think that there isn't a ton of left tackles. I think there's more right tackles, uh, which is I think what gets people down. But um, I like guys like Zach Goldich, who I've been a pretty big fan of, but nobody seems to watch him. At all, uh, I like Daniel Brunskill from San Diego State. It's kind of a project guy, but nobody watches him either. I like Eric Magnuson at Michigan as a right tackle. I think he's a fairly big guy. He has a couple struggles, but I think he's good. The best tackle overall, at least the most polished tackle uh, that I like, maybe better at guard, I'm not sure yet, is Ryan Ramchek, you know, at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been one of the more impressive guys in terms of knowing how to deal with counters, knowing how to deal with, uh, you know, speed rushers and power rushers, can pretty much deal with everybody, um, and uh, has played relatively well this year. The recent declare David Sharp from Florida, I think he made a bad decision. I think he's going to go to the combine and run 5-4, and people are going to go, why did he declare? And I'm going to be like, yeah, hey, I don't know. He just did. Um, But, yeah, there's (laughs) – People like that, I think it's kind of odd. Uh, also, Garrett Bowles from Utah declared. 
as well. I guess he's cashing in on I don't know. He's more of a guard, to be honest, uh, in terms of build and size and arm length and everything like that. Um, he does move well in space. I will he say does. that. He's kind of Cam, Kevin Panfile-ish, I guess. That's way to describe it. He's not as bad as a technician, though. But No, um, well, he, he clearly knows more team. about football than Mr. Pepfield did, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I was just kind of uh, – it was odd that he was a clear and all these other guys wouldn't that I kind of like a little bit more – um, like Zach Crabtree or, you know, stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, there's guys like that I think are fine. John Heck I think is interesting. Justin Senior from Mississippi State is a explosive tackle. He might be a Seahawk guy maybe, um, possibly, because uh, hmm. he gets to places. A ZBS tackle is kind of what, but, but a good right. kind. The kind right. that's explosive but isn't really fast um, in a straight line. Um, but is but is explosive. I kind of like him a bit because of those types of things. I like Akor Akor from yeah, Acorafor, Western yeah. Michigan. Yep, kinda I like him too. Guy, um, kind of get some DJ Fluker vibes from him, but I think he's he's yeah, okay. Uh, Chad Wheeler, I like, but there's so many. In, he's, he's never healthy for a full year. What about that? Nope. And he, uh, yeah, when not. <laughs> Zach Banner's what's the term you like to use, Jim? Stiffish. Uh, he's like a giant piece of uh, red and and yellow furniture. <laughs> yes, right. You stick him there, and you know he's that guy that will work if you like. He's going to be the Raiders' second round pick. I'm just saying it right now. Oh God. Um, he's the type of guy that will. I'm just saying. I mean, like Watson's the starting left tackle now, so oh. the logical step is to get Zach Banner. But yeah, I mean, he's the type of guy that he's such a big player that if you have a offensive system where you get rid of the ball very quickly, it's it's. I mean, he's just the type of player where the strategy you're employing is you're basically putting a giant, you know, wall, and it doesn't move very well. But it takes a certain amount of time to get around that wall. That if you get rid of the ball fast enough, it just won't affect things that much. So I think that's. He'll fit most with teams that have that yeah, get rid of the ball very quickly. If you ask him to hold up past four or three seconds, it's not going to end well. I mean, he he doesn't do well with speed rushers. He doesn't do well with explosive rushers. He doesn't do well with power rushers because he doesn't <laughs> bend well enough to combat that. You know, doesn't always win the leverage battles because he's just kind of stiffish. So yeah, it's um, he's a very big guy, but I, you know, Orlando Brown at Oklahoma is kind of a little bit more impressive. You're just looking for like a giant man thing that you just stick there and have people try to get around. He, I like him a little bit more. But Triple yeah, Roger Johnson, like that. Uh, Florida State Temple. Oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, I mean, he has long arms. Um, he's tall. Probably right tackle, in my opinion. He's he's almost gotten um, young Mr. DeAndre Francis killed a couple of times. Yeah, he can't bend. Uh, he he is sort of explosive. He can get to the second level and and do some things um, interesting there. Uh, but pass pro is just not exactly where he needs to be. And a lot of it just has to do with his uh, hips. He just doesn't bend very well. Loses leverage battles consistently because of that. And it's just something where. I don't really need to – I can get around him with speed, but I could just bull rush him as a quarterback and do just fine, and that's um, 
that's his biggest problem, to be honest. Uh, is that for a second. And the long arms doesn't help with that, by the way. Just because you have long arms doesn't mean you're gonna, it's not going to help you get, you know, you're going to get thrown into the quarterback regardless of those long arms. But yeah, so th- there's issues like that with him. Uh, just to get back to Chad Wheeler, my biggest issue with Chad Wheeler is counters um, consistently. He tends to have issues with guys that uh, push pulls, big one that he has big issues with. Uh, and in general, he just doesn't really adjust to those types of things on the fly as well as I would like him to. He's also not really the strongest guy ever, but he, you know, he moves okay in terms of the stuff he does. Uh, Dan Skipper, I think, is another one of those big, tall guys. Might be a Patriot, possibly. To the, you know, they seem to go after the, the, the really, really tall white guys. Um, <laughs> that are usually from Eastern Europe or something like that. He's not from Eastern Europe. At least I don't think so. That <laughs> doesn't really people. sound like a Estonian name. But uh, at the very least, he is a very big, tall guy. Um, Cole Gardner in Eastern Michigan, I think, is a guy that has some interesting traits there that you could develop. I mean, the thing is, the, the biggest issue with this tackle class in general is that there just isn't a lot of really polished players. There's a lot more physical talent than there is polished players so you're going to have this sort of debate again about do you take the offensive lineman or offensive tackle with the physical abilities and you coach him up the Tom Cable you know thing or do you go with the more traditional you know I'm smarter than everybody else in terms of offensive line play approach and you just kind of go I'm going to I'm going to get this guy and this guy and get this guy, and athletic ability doesn't matter, and Rob Havenstein is probably one of the greatest tackles ever, even though he's not. And, you know, like, do you just take that approach where, you know, athletic ability doesn't matter, it's all about technique, it's all about – which it is. I mean, there's a lot of technique to the position. There's a lot of football intelligence you have to have at the position. Um, but you do need to have some level of athletic ability to be at least a great player. And I think that's the biggest thing that's lacking from this class. And even the tackles that I like, guys like Ryan Ramchick, um, and, of course, uh, uh, Eric Magnuson. Did you mention Tyler Mouton, too? Did he come up? Uh, okay. I, mean, I didn't know if you mentioned him or not. He's okay. I, I kind of see more as a guard. I, again, I like a core for – I yeah, like the other guy. Mm-hmm. Or um, just size-wise and stuff, I just kind of like a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I I just think that again, I, if you have a really good offensive line coach, I think you could come out of this class with a starting right uh, right tackle or left tackle. But if you think you're going to get like a special player, I think that's a big thing. There isn't any guys in this class that have athletic ability with uh, you know incredible tech technique or just incredible insight or incredible football intelligence. Cam Robinson even, as a run blocker, he's he's good. You know, he's a good run blocker. He's a good guy that has a decent size. But I think he's going to have more of an Andre Smithish kind of career than he is going to have like a Hall of Fame career. Um, which, I mean, some people would like to have Andre Smith in his top ten, but I'd rather get Andre Smith in like day two. I mean, but that's just he pretty much who you are. just wants to run the ball. I mean, like a team like built around running the football, like the Cowboys, basically that type of tackle. Well, okay, two things. The Cowboys have, you know, obviously much better offensive linemen than anybody whose name recently was mentioned. I mean, I guess Ramchek could be a swing guy for them or something, but 
I mean, there's certainly things they need in Dallas, and they may will probably take an offensive lineman somewhere for depth, but they're not going to go early for offensive line, obviously. I mean, this is a I mean, better guard class than anything. That's true. It's a true statement. Well, that was the first one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a good, it's a good guard class. That is true. It's it's a good center class. I think it's one of the better center classes I've seen. Yes. Um, in a while, um, in terms of consistent depth and lots of starter potential. So, uh, I just think that, I think this might be the class bill. Again, I'm getting 2013 things all over again. But you might see a couple interior offensive linemen go early in the first round, and we're like, what? But it just happens because people <laughs> will be so panicked, you know, to – I mean, what happened in 2013 is all the tackles for guys that could theoretically play tackle left the board, and then people started getting guards, and then people started to panic because they're like, these guys aren't going to be at this. I mean, these guys are supposed to be at the top of the second, but they're all going off the board. What are we going to do? We need to take them now because if we don't take them now, we're not going to get them. The like, there was a lot of that, Yep. in my opinion, that went around. And I think that might happen <laughs> in this class, too, where a lot of guys will be taken. I think guys like Eric Magnuson and Ryan Rancher, I think those guys are going to get off the board a lot sooner than people, than people actually think. think. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the lack of overall. Again, there's a lot of physical talent, but most NFL teams, want to bank on more than just that early really bad you're going to need left tackle especially with the yeah. very bare free agency class well, so. there's not that many left tackles I, I don't know what else to tell you I mean there's a lot of right tackles but not a lot of left tackles unfortunately but um and even the guys that are good are right tackles so you're projecting them to I mean you could theoretically project a guy from right tackle to left tackle and say oh well he has the athletic ability but that he's never played it in college so there's a lot of that too but um but yeah, it's a much more impressive guard class than it is anything else. And center. Uh, who? Yeah, the Ohio State guards and Feeney and Pope. sure, yeah, those guys, I guess. You know, but there's also yeah. Adam, Adam Biznawati. Yeah, Brian Allen. Pitt. There we go. There's Quentin Nelson. Greg Pike is decent. Dan Feeney from Indiana. Dan Feeney's going to test extremely well, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Dijon Allen from Hawaii, I think he's pretty decent. Eric Rochdell, he's good. Question for you, Jim. Who is your top yeah. center in this class? Uh, Tyler Orlovsky. Um, West Pittsburgh guy? The West, West Virginia guy, you mean? Oh, West Virginia. Oh, yeah, 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 West Virginia. The, and, of course, the brother of Dan Orlovsky, younger brother of Dan Orlovsky. Yep. Yeah. yeah, he's... Uh, really competitive, super tough, smart guy, uh, makes the line calls, obviously. Coaching staff respects him at an extremely high level. He's essentially, you know, a lot like, bigger and stronger, but very similar in a lot of ways to Jeff uh, Saturday. Followed by Ethan Posick, who's the second guy. I only have – I mean, I like Ethan Posick. I just have issues with centers that get – he gets bull rushed. He usually has a – usually what he'll what will happen is he gets pushed back three yards. More of a guard, though, isn't he? Eh, I, guess, yeah. I guess. 
Well, if power is an issue for him at center, <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be I mean, mean or anything. But... Say, I've, I've heard people say, oh, let's put him at tackle. What? I mean, what? I've heard that. Like, oh, he's so tall, he should, give a, he should be a tackle. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, I mean, I just, <laughs> I just think with Plastic, he's, he's a blue. He's one of those types of guards that's more of a shield than he is a powerful guy. Right. Um, and that's because of the height. A lot of it is with the height. He has leverage issues at times. He adjusts to those leverage issues well. But then again, you don't want your center ending up three, four yards back and be on the back. Being dumped you know? into the lap of your quarterback. Yeah. He's got yeah. some you Cam really Irving got. kinds of issues, though I think he's a better player. But some of the same yeah. issues that played Cam Irving plague him. Yeah, exactly. You know, which are kind of the issues. But, but he is smart. He does move well. Um, I do see his fit in sort of a power scheme, you know, getting, you know, guys, teams that like to use their centers, get him out in space and do stuff like that. I think he does that well. I think there is some issues with leverage and stuff like that because of the title. We're speaking guards, but is there a Betonio level guard in this class? Uh, who? He said, yeah, you know, know, is there, is there somebody that you yeah. like as much as Joe Platonio is what he was asking in amongst the guards? Oh, uh, uh, Brian Allen. Oh, there we go. Speaking of guys with some size questions. I don't think he's coming out, though. Uh, Quentin right. Nelson is impressive. He finished Malik McDowell in ways that are unsafe for television. Um, <laughs> right. Good point. Stuff like that. Uh Pat Offline, my only issue with Pat Offline, I do like him getting out in space and doing his thing. I don't like it when he goes up against taller defensive linemen. Typically has a lot of issues with taller D linemen that can out leverage him. Um, he has lots of issues with those types of guys. There's one thing I worry about with him. But other than that, I think he's pretty solid all around. Um, I think there's issues in terms of power with him at times. And that's the only criticism I probably have of the guard class is there's a couple of really powerful guys, but not a bunch. He's probably the best guard class. Oh, with who? Feeney. Dan Feeney. Oh, yeah. I mean, he reminds me a lot of uh, uh, the Stanford guards last year. Um, what is it about Indiana that they produce so many good offers? What about Indiana? I think he said they produce a lot of good offensive and then something like he fell into a hole. Oh, oh there we well, go. Recently, Why did they produce so many good offensive linemen? Because they've been good for the last couple of years. I mean, it just happened that it just happened, I guess. You know, they they produce a relatively decent offense in terms of wide receivers, and everything. it just kind of lined up for them, offensively speaking. They did some good jobs of evaluating and developing at the position as well. Yeah, worth mentioning. Yeah, because I mean, Jason Spriggs last year, uh, you guys the year before. Oh yeah, yeah, Jason Spriggs was good. You know, should have been a first rounder, but the NFL. Knows more about offensive tackle evaluation than I do, I guess. So he does have trouble um, in the passing game a little bit, shun a little bit this year. 
Oh, sure. I mean, he's raw in technique. That's why some people were, were down on him. He's, he's not. He's not a technician. He's not a terrific technician. Uh, he he definitely gets high at times. I mean, I could see him in person. Once again, I saw I got to see him in person when uh, Green Bay was here in town, and I watched him specifically, at least in part, because of Jim. And so, yes, there were some. They used him as an extra tight end in short yardage goal line. He played. Uh, you know, he's playing some on both sides. I mean, he's played, I saw him line up at both left and right tackle in various situations, just spelling people for the most part, but he he played a fair amount. And like I said, you could see that he had really good ability to move and redirect. Uh, you know, he's flexible and a natural, you know, just a, a very good natural athlete. But he clearly you know, has work, some work to be done in terms of the, the finer points of the position. But, yes, uh, any other things you wanted to ask about? Or... I do have one question. I've been watching a little bit more of the 2015 uh, North Carolina Mac Collins. He got hurt. Your- he tore his ACL. Yeah. But I, if you, but if you, if you read at all what I wrote about him, which I guess you didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, as I wrote, he was a walk-on uh, who went there originally on a track scholarship, and mm-hmm. was a special teams. In fact, he was a special teams player of the year for 2014. Uh, he had a blocked PAT and I think maybe a blocked field goal as well. Uh, also led the team in special teams tackles that season. Developed more and more as a receiver. Uh, was the second leading receiver coming into the season before he got hurt. Uh, coming over from last year. He had actually produced, in terms of yardage, had outproduced Bug Howard with second only to Switzer in returning receivers amongst yardage. So uh, he's rehabbing. I don't know how close he is to being able to to, to be tested physically, but he's a when guy. Did he tear the ACL before the year or after uh, the year? Beginning of the season, right? Right at the very beginning of the season. So he missed pretty much this entire season. But um, he'll he won't be drafted most likely now because of it, and. It just like I said, if he comes back 100% healthy, I could see somebody bringing him as an undrafted free agent. And he initially, you know, is a special teams guy, but I think eventually he could become a third, uh, fourth or third wide receiver. I, Rockville, Maryland native, uh, like I said, a, a guy who's going to, if he ever gets 100 healthy, would test well because he's, like I said, was a track athlete. I mean, he, you know, he walk, he likes football enough to walk on to play football, but he was recruited there for track. Um, I know he has a size for it, but I'm, I'm thinking I know he's, I don't think he has really that much experience blocking. But due to his size, could he be a move tight end? Uh, well, he has to put on a lot of weight. <laughs> I don't know I mean, why you would do I, that. <laughs> I mean, he's he can play wide receiver. Uh, but I don't know why you would try to convert it into a move tight end. You know, he'd have to put on I mean, a lot of I mean, weight. Now, and Jordan Reader aren't all that big either. Yeah, he does put on a lot of weight. <laughs> like I said, you know, he, he, it wouldn't be a 10 or 15 pound thing. He had to put on 30 or 35 pounds to be able to do that. So it'd be a lot of weight. 
I don't know why you would do that. And then another guy, I've been looking at more wide receivers. Um, I finished already on my stuff on Stacey Coley and Switzer. Um, Isaiah uh, Ford of Virginia Tech. I really don't know what what to make of him. You don't know what to make of who? Isaiah Ford, Virginia Tech. Okay, well, what, what do you mean by you don't know what to make of him? What's confusing you? I don't know where he fits. People see him as a number one wide receiver. Clearly not. Um, number two, I don't. I mean, see it. I mean, where is all the pick coming from for him? I don't see it. Well, let me ask you this: What did you think of Greg Jennings when he was an NFL wide receiver? I thought he was good. Okay, there you I have it. Been not great. Yep. Boom. Done. And there were times when Greg Jennings was on a team with, and I'll you know name them, you know them already, but Jordy Nelson and... Uh, Jones, Dennis right. Yes, and guess what? There were times when he led the team in receiving. You know, so that, you know, you could say what you want, but he, there were a couple of years where he was the number one, if you go by production, the number one receiver on the Green Bay Packers. Isaiah Ford, depending upon his situation, could be a number one in terms of production. He could be a guy Ocho that Fordo. Exactly, Ocho Fordo, right? He could be a guy that has eighty one catches for, you know, twelve hundred and eighty yards and nine touchdowns very easily in the right system. Um, and one more player, uh, he changed his mind. And he declares the draft running back. So I was, like I said, I was watching more uh, North Carolina. Elijah Hood, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I wish he'd stayed in school. Uh, he did not have a very good year. <laughs> I, just, really I don't know what caused him to – I don't know what caused him to, to reverse his – because he previously had announced that he was staying, and I don't know what, what changed. Um, I don't know. I don't – I mean, maybe there's something going on. I don't know. Uh, I, I – He's going to end up as a probably a middle round player because this is a really good running back class, obviously, and he he had a very you know kind of meh season. So I'm not like I said, I don't know what's motivating him to make this choice with so many good running backs uh, in this class. I mean, class. You say meh season. Wayne Gallman is ranked pretty high, and he sort of had a meh season. Well, yes, I mean that's what I'm saying. I mean, why would you come out? <laughs> like I said, maybe something's going on. I mean, I'm not judging, I guess. I mean, there might be some legitimate reason, but I don't know what what the reason is. He, Like I said, he's clearly, in my mind, he's clearly in a situation where he's going to end up, as I like to say, lost in the sauce because there's so many running backs already in this class. And he had a chance to, you know, be – I think he could have had a potential chance to be, you know, number one if not number one, then, you know, certainly in the top very three or so, yeah, and had a legitimate chance to be, if not a first, then an early second rounder next year, and he's going to be somewhere in probably really? the – Really, a first or second rounder in, a, in that next year's class? Which he could. The class. Yeah, he certainly could. Top your account. I mean, think about if he comes back and has a great season, gets stronger, 
I mean, there's no reason to think why he couldn't. Well, he could also have a torn ACL next year. Or he could have a torn ACL next year. He could have a torn ACL in the NFL. Right. I mean, you can always have a torn ACL. You can always have a torn ACL. But, I mean, when I look, when I'm evaluating players, to me, the players that should declare are players who are dominant. If you dominate, right? If you're a dominant player, then it makes sense to declare. You are dominant. You are showing that there's no more challenges for you to be had at the collegiate level. You have dominated them to the point where you are clearly ready to take on the best of the best. That's not the kind of year he had. That's, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. You bring up that point. Do you think Nick Chubb and uh, Royce Freeman should get a no. Why, why would they declare? No. What, what reason would there be to declare when you're coming off, once again, a poor, fairly poor season? To me, like I said, a player who's declaring early should be a player who's answered all of the questions in the affirmative, right, at the collegiate level. There are no more questions about what you are as a prospect. You have wiped out any doubts that anyone could ever have about how good you, you, you will be at the next level. You have been that kind of player. You have dominated. You have crushed everything in your path. That's who should be dom- who should be declaring, that player, right? That player who was an unstoppable machine week in and week out, just destroying everything in your path. Yes, that guy should declare. The people you're talking about are not people who have any business declaring. Okay, I have two more questions. One of my tried to ask yesterday on Twitter. Uh, tell me what you like about Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. Well, we had a whole discussion of Mahomes already, but I'll let uh, I'll let Jim recap it. Very talented in terms of arm talent and physical ability, but definitely has some tendencies in terms of uh, decision making and just winging it too often. Going on his first um, read a lot. Well, it's not really that. It's just deciding that it's going to be backyard football now. So there are, there are no more reads. It's just get open downfield and I'll throw you the ball type of mentality. Um, Very simple. You know. Well, they're all simple. Of, <laughs> for the most part. Who's not, who's not running a simple everybody offense has now, simple I Everybody reads, man. Right, they're all simple. Just, like whose offense is the 1988 you know, San Francisco 49ers offense? Who's running that? Nobody. I just, Nobody. I, it exactly. It's just, again, physical ability, arm talent, all there. It's just mentally speaking. There's just a couple things here and there, but I think he, he in terms of the offense he runs, he runs it with a, a bit of finesse and, uh, you know, deception and stuff there that works. It's just he, he again, he wings it. He's very Brett Favre and Menzel ish in terms of his improvisation, which some people don't like. A lot, you know. But, and, and I know. Houdini trying to escape the pocket. Uh, uh, who? He sort of looks like Houdini trying to escape the pocket in a way um, when he's scrambling. Yeah, well, he has oh, to be. He yeah. has a pretty inconsistent offensive line, <laughs> and he loves making big plays. And oh, very often the plays aren't designed to be as big as he would like them to be, so he extends the play for another second, second and a half, two seconds, two and a half seconds. I mean, he's – in terms of being able to create big plays, he's the best quarterback in the class. Nobody 
else makes big plays happen when they weren't there more than Patrick Mahomes. If that's what excites you, he's going to be your guy. Josh Allen on steroids. Right, only more accurate. So, Who on steroids? Josh Allen, only more accurate. So here's the, the, the issues. He can definitely, as you said, you know, he can make literally any and every throw you could imagine somebody making. But there are legitimate concerns about how he refuses sometimes just to, you know, just take what what's there sometimes. So, you know, he sometimes tries too hard to create something that isn't there. Uh, he needs to learn to take checkdowns when they're there, sometimes just chuck the ball out of bounds, get the ball out of danger, get himself out of danger. I like to see him do those things more. And a lot of discussion has been about his mechanics. Some people are, are super concerned about his mechanics. Okay. I would like to, I certainly would like to see him tighten some and shorten up some things, but you don't have to have, you know, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers mechanics. Though Aaron Rodgers mechanics sometimes can get a little wonky too. But, uh, no, I mean, he's, he's, his mechanics are what, what he needs them to be. And Mahomes is kind of the same. His mechanics are thus far what he needs them to be. There are things that could be fixed, cleaned up, et cetera. But that being said, there is no better off-platform, off this, off that, you know, off the run, off the spin. I mean, he, he's it. He's the best. If, if you think Josh Allen is fun to watch, have you not yeah. seen Patrick Mahomes? I mean, he, can, he makes crazy stuff happen consistently. What's up with the Josh Allen? Honestly, I don't see it. Well, he's a strong-armed white kid in Wyoming who who's probably 6'3 and 7'8, but whatever. Great for gifts. He is a great gift. He's a great gift quarterback. That is true. He makes throws on the run that are very impressive. But you have to get through a lot of stuff. Well, it's kind of like you have to have the rewind button. You can't just put on the tape and find good things. You have to, like, rewind it for five, six minutes, and then you have something good. Um, that's the type of player he is. But people focus a lot. Trait Twitter in particular, or trait yes. people in general, look at right. one trait and extrapolate a lot of stuff based on that one trait versus the body of evidence. The body of evidence says he's not very good. But that one trait to them says he's elite or he's about to be elite because of that one thing he does really well, which is making plays on the run down the field. Sometimes he doesn't make those plays. Sometimes he throws into triple coverage and double coverage. Uh, he's I mean, Richard Jr., am I, am I wrong? Well, Richard sophomore, actually. Or, or not junior, sophomore. Uh, and he's not going to declare, I don't think. Well, oh, Alan, Alan has not declared. Yes, that's, that Alan has not. I hope Okay. Not. <laughs> okay. You, you say that, um, I mean, that there's also a guy I don't understand. I like him a lot as a player, but the lack of starts really concern me in Mitch Trubisky. Sort of scares me like Mark Sanchez did with the lack of starts. Maybe he was just a one-year wonder, and that just really concerns me, and he's surrounding a really good offense. So was there a question somewhere in there, or, you, or or was that just a comment? You guys, um, 
think are you guys uh, on as high as are you guys high on him like most people, or are you also kind of down on him? Okay, well I'll, I'll ask Jim answer initially. Uh, where where are your feelings, Jim? I mean, I like him. You know, I think he's a good quarterback. I want him to go back to school another year. Um, I don't know if that'll happen or not, but I do think that there's a lot of um, arm talent. Uh, there that's impressive, but I do think only having one year of starts um, is just not enough experience, especially since a lot of his issues are issues that could be fixed with another year of college football, and I don't think it would hurt him at all to come back another year and fix some of the issues he has in terms of decision-making and um, just some of the defenses he runs into on occasion. He doesn't exactly know what's happened. It's like when Blake Bortles went up against the 3-4 defense for the first time, and he literally had no idea what he was doing. Like, he had no idea where the blitzes were coming from, nothing. He just was completely clueless. There's sometimes a Mitch Trubisky looks like that against certain teams. So, any other questions? <laughs> I mean, I could, but they're all about the quarterbacks. I think of them, but... Okay. Well, I mean, you can feel free to fire them off. Hi. Uh, what's his issue? And can it is can he be a good quarterback in the NFL? If, I mean, first round talent wise, you see that. I mean, that's a... Well, I've written extensively about him, as I'm sure you know. I, don't, uh, I honestly don't write. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, a Rhodes Scholarship finalist, Campbell Award winner, a player who, you know, had literally, you know, once again, zero or very little, you know, interest coming out of high school. Very, well, I'd say zero, but not a lot of interest coming out of high school. Western Michigan was really the only, I think, the only FBS program to have offered him, or if not the only one, one of the very few. A guy who otherwise probably would have been in an Ivy League program, uh, both for academics and, of course, because they were – that's where the level of interest sort of was for him in terms of football from from most places. Uh, there are concerns about his size. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He doesn't have a super big arm, but tremi- if you've read, read anything I've written about him, but a tremendous decision maker, extremely accurate, mentally and physically tough, um, a really good leader. I mean, off the charts leader. PJ Fleck's favorite player in his, his history as a coach thus far. And if you don't believe me, ask him, <laughs> you know, I mean, he raves, raves. Obviously, you know, PJ Flex a pretty effusive guy. He, you know, he's not shy about selling, telling you things, but he is, there's no one he's ever coached that he's a bigger fan of than, uh, than his feelings about Zach Terrell. He clearly loves that guy, loved coaching him and is an enormous fan of his. Is he, is he a first-round talent at all? Well, no. I mean... I don't think he, any of you guys really are. Well, he's not a second-round talent. He's not a third-round talent, most likely. I mean, he could... It doesn't mean he won't be a really, really good... Uh, he's most likely going to be a backup, but it, once again, as I said, in the right situation, I think he could start. Kind of like Brett Hundley, in the right situation, he could start. Well, I mean, he's, he's if, on, if only he had Brett Hundley's physical talent. If you were to take Zach... 
Terrell's mind and leadership and put it in a body like Brett Hundley's, that's a first-round quarterback. That's what that is. If you could combine those two things, uh, because that's what he doesn't have. He doesn't have the big frame, the big arm, the big anything, except, you know, heart and braid. He's got a big heart and a big braid. But, you know, like I said, somebody's going to get a very good quarterback room guy, which matters probably more than some people realize, and a guy that might pleasantly surprise if he's forced to start, you know, through the injuries or whatever. I mean, look at Cody Kessler, and I think he's similar in a lot of ways to Cody Kessler, uh, a guy who's, once again, sort of West Coast offense prototype, bit undersized, underrated athlete with really tremendous short to mid-range accuracy and, frankly, a really underrated deep ball thrower. Though he's not a power arm, he has a really good sense of how and, you know, the way in which he's – he understands throwing the deep ball, even though, once again, I go back to guys like Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore was a brilliant thrower of the deep ball, even though he had a – He had a below average arm, but look at how he had to really anticipate, right? I mean, he is anticipation. His ability to anticipate on the deep ball was probably the best of not just that class, but the classes, a couple of classes before and a couple of classes after. And Terrell's not quite at that level, but he's he's got a high level of how to anticipate. He anticipates well, and he has a good sense of how to throw the deep ball. He just doesn't have a huge arm, but he throws the deep ball He's above average as a deep ball thrower anyway. And then I guess the last guy is Deshaun Watson. I I personally still have him as my best quarterback, but I kind of feel lonely on the boat. I mean, why is everyone carried on him? Of course, he's not consistent. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote about that as well. So part of it is just, I mean, think about the quarterbacks who have been around that long. People turned on Aaron Rodgers. People, it happens every year. It's like you don't pay attention. This is exactly what plays out every year. At some point, they all turn on whoever QB one is supposed to be. It's just his turn. Is he still your QB one? Well, he wasn't ever my QB one, but I still like him. In your eyes, is he a possible franchise quarterback? Yeah. Yeah, of course. He's a possible franchise quarterback, yes. Well, guys, the next year's quarterback class is actually going to be very good. Evergreen tweet. Yes, that's exactly what everyone said this time last year. So, Jim, uh, same. I guess I'll let you weigh in on any of those uh, as well. Any anything you want to say about Isaiah's various questions about all the quarterbacks we've talked about and written about, but somehow he didn't see. Some will be good, some will be bad, same as every year. Well said. So you're you're all out of questions now, Isaiah? Yeah, pretty much. I'm all tired now. <laughs> okay. Um, getting back to the, the early declarations, Jim, were there any that stood out to you uh, as ones that you thought were strange or, or 
unusual or of course obviously aren't quite done yet we'll still have a a few more probably before it's all over but which one stood out to you either positively or negatively okay well i guess i'll I'll go with the guys that i'm i just the guys i I don't know um adam uh shaheen shaheen i think from ashland very odd for a for an underclassman from a lower level division to declare really very suspicious, very suspicious about that decision. But we'll see. Um, I've seen a little bit of tape of him. He kind of looks Tadaki fish, but shorter, you know, kind of a big, stocky guy. I don't think he's going to be six foot seven, though, or whatever he's looking no. at. I think that's kind no. of false. Yeah. Um, he might come in six four ish, six three ish, maybe. But, um, but he's kind of a big guy. Uh, Katie Cannon is like, okay, I guess, um, you know, all right. You know, I, I kind of wanted the war to come out instead, but I, I get it. It's actually better because Cannon won't be there, so tomorrow will have free reign to do this thing. But, um, yeah, I, I was kind of a little odd on that front. Artavis Scott. My boy. Scott seems like a guy that's just like, well, I'm eligible for the NFL now. See, see you guys later. Well, it's kind of declared for him that he's going along with Williams and Goldman and what? Like, yeah, but why? Exactly. When you'd have a chance to be the man next year. I mean, he was the man not this year, but last year too. I uh, he was never the man, man, really. I mean, okay. It was what? All right. Okay. He's okay. I mean, I mean, he didn't produce like the man. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Over a thousand yards, uh, with the team in receptions. Basically speaking, it was kind of meh. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, just because you get a thousand yards, you mean you're dominant. Well, I'm not saying a thousand yards. Offense, everything. I'm just saying that. I mean, you could you could get a thousand yards with a five thousand yard offense. Drop in the bucket, you know, considering that, but. I, I don't know. I just felt like he just kind of had an ass season and then declared, which I don't like. I don't like guys that just declare after having kind of, you know, meh seasons, and that's what I felt like with him. Um, Alec Anzalon from Florida. Yeah. That's a guy uh, who just was hurt all the time. Yeah, which that's the thing about Florida. They have, they have all these, like, really athletic guys, Florida, of course, Florida, but they always get injured. They always get mixed up. They always get, you know, like they have they have fun tape, but they're never, you know, healthy. So I just don't know, man. I mean, we've seen a lot of these guys. Um, of course, he's not exactly a defensive lineman. He's a linebacker. But, I mean, you know, it's kind of odd for him to come out. Um, I like Isaiah. Uh, who? Caleb Brantley. Oh, yeah, him too. I, I, I'm not the biggest – People keep putting him in the first round. I think guys like Jill Johnson are better, significantly better than Brantley. Um, Brantley, you have to watch to watch certain games with Brantley to be impressed. Because if you watch every game, it's not that impressive. You know. No, uh, Jalen Reeves Maven, wasn't he a junior? Or was he a senior? Uh, I think he's a senior. I think he's a junior. I guess you could throw him in, although he's injured too. 
Um, Howard Wilson at Houston, I've not seen his tape, but he's also a guy that I just have no idea who he is, and he, he declared from Houston. So he's one of those guys that's kind of like that for me. Stanley Boom Williams, no clue why. It's a really deep running back class. I guess he thinks he's going to run fast is all I can really say, but I didn't quite get that. Um, who else? Ricky Seals-Jones. Yeah, that Same guy. I, I guess. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones might be a UDFA. Might be a good PFA kind of guy. Definitely. Yeah. Speaking of someone who's never been the guy, I mean, he, there's a bunch of players I would pick over him, and he he doesn't well, really understand. to begin with, you have better options. I mean, it, there's you so many things. Something Isaiah, they they schemed him open, and even when he was schemed open, he had issues. Yep, like that's how bad it was. I mean, they literally did things to get him on the move to, you know, to basically get him one-on-one matchups on the boundary. And even in those scenarios, he was having issues in terms of catching the football on the, on the move and just not being awkward in terms of like, it's, it's not only that he's just raw, it's that so many. He's raw, but he's, he's, he's a mess too. I mean, it's not just that he's raw. Mike Evans was raw. Lots of guys were raw. I mean, Raw is one thing. I, I can forgive Raw. The point is that he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't understand why a guy like would declare who doesn't even really understand how to play the position and has shown consistently that he, he doesn't – this is not a guy who takes over games. I mean, this is not a guy who – like I said, the opposite of dominant. You know, that's what he is. He's the opposite of dominant. He he doesn't demand the ball, and you know, by doing anything that says I've got to go to this guy, uh, he's often injured. Yes, right. And then you throw in the that. Would you throw in that to go with his other issues? I don't know why a guy would declare in that situation. It's just perplexing to me. Exactly. It just I like him not potential, but I think he needs another year. Yes, at least exactly. at least another year. At least. And he might still have been dead. But when he can't oh, right. together, you're not a good player. I'm not saying he had all the potential in the world, but when you can't put it all together, you know, there's issues. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Vincent Taylor, I like a decent amount from Oklahoma State. He's kind of a – he went under the radar, at least, with this declaration. I mean, nobody talks about him, but I think he's a pretty impressive defensive tackle prospect. Now, already strong group, which makes the class even better. So, I know – Isaiah doesn't really like the defensive back of the class that much, but I think it's probably one of the strongest groups in the class this year, as with Vincent Taylor uh, declaring for us. Um, Spring fellow from Ole Miss declared. I'm lukewarm on him. I think he's kind of a slow, stiff possession receiver. Doesn't really – I know there was a lot of hype on him coming out of high school, but that's really all there is at this point. Um, but, yeah, he, he's there. Garrett Sickles from Penn State declared. I don't get that. I know he played at Penn State, but I didn't think he was really that impressive of a player. He's kind of a rotational pass rusher, most likely. Uh, but, yeah, I, I didn't quite get that. Moves, Speedy Uh Who? Quincy Williams. 
Was there a question somewhere in there, Isaiah? No, I don't think he should have declared. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. A lot of that going around. Uh, Speedy Noel declared, which I didn't quite get. And the funny thing is, is, is a lot of these guys that are declaring, though, they're basically saying he wouldn't have won the job last year, so he's coming out now. But if he couldn't right. win the job in college, and you, you couldn't carve out significant time in college, how are you going to do that in the NFL? Like, how are you going to have a career as an NFL player if you can't win a job at Texas A&M? I mean, I, and I'm not saying Texas A&M is a, is a bad program in terms of wide receiver prospects, but at the same time, like, the NFL – that to win a job in the NFL, you you have to you know win a job in the NFL against guys that are as talented or more talented than the guys you played with at Texas A&M. And I just think it's kind of odd that people would have the mentality of, well, I didn't win my job, so I'm just going to go to the NFL and win a job. When you, I just don't get it. It just doesn't make sense. It's just lazy. I don't know. I just don't get it. Why people? Why players? come out like that. Uh, which guy? Isaiah McKenzie. I mean, this is the first real year he's been used as a wide receiver. I mean, all he's really done is special teams. I know he's not. He's been the leading receiver for them. I mean, he's really been really used as a receiver more this year than he's previous, but he's mainly been a special team. Yeah, but this year he at least showed that he's a really good slot receiver. He's one of my better spot receivers, at least right now, because he declared. I think he should be. I don't know. Plus, he has personal reasons why he declared. But, yeah, I mean, so there's that. Uh, Andy Vanderdoes declared. I'm kind of lukewarm on that. I don't really. He's an okay player. Either way. He's not terrible. Yeah, Jared Evans declared at Virginia Tech, which was a surprise. Definitely, I don't know what went into that 100%, but he's definitely there. Elijah Quells from Washington, I felt was a little, a little iffy on that one as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are all the ones that are surprisingly. There's only like 68 declarations so far, so that's good. So we haven't hit 100 yet. But um, yeah, there's just a couple that just didn't quite make any sense to me um, in terms of early guys. But for the most part, I like most of the guys that declared early except for those guys that I kind of mentioned, or just guys that I just haven't seen. You know, like I haven't seen the Houston cornerback yet. J.T. Watt? Declared, um, I don't think he should have. Hello? 
him. So, you are still with us, Isaiah? I am. Okay, got it. So, the the class itself. You mentioned that you were excited about the safety class. I'm asking who some of your favorite safeties were and why. Well, my favorite safety is probably Buda Baker, but he's probably nickel corner. Um, Jamal, I have declared I'm not. I don't know any of what the Bill Pepper situation is. I wouldn't take him as a first-round talent. I don't, honestly, I don't know what he is, other than a box safety. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't have Peppers listed as a safety because it's not the position he played. Now, who knows what the future may hold? But when I, you know, decide to rank a player as something, I usually rank them based on well, I mean, either. And that's why he's picked up so high. I mean, I'm sorry, what did you say? I mean, it's basically athleticism. That's why he's up so high. He's basically a Dory Jackson of the safety slash edge class. Well, I mean, he's not a Dory Jackson. Um, he's, he's, I mean, he's, I'm saying he's the athlete at that position. He, you know, does everything. Maybe, you know. Um, I don't know if he's as athletic as people think he is. I think people will be unpleasantly surprised with how he tests. I don't think he's going to run. I don't think he's going to run four three eight or whatever craziness people are talking about. I think he's going to be significantly off from that. Like I told you earlier, I'm not going to draft you unless you're an absolute blue chipper of your talent. I I think people who who you know somehow got it into their head that he's you know the honey badger or he's you know, whatever it is people are talking about he's none of those things he more the thing he does best the thing he does best well, he's not even that but um, the thing he because Dion Buchanan was much better in coverage and bigger mm-hmm. you know so I mean Dion Buchanan wasn't a one interception in his, his career guy <laughs> far from it. So Dion Buchanan could actually cover the deep half and played it, right? People somehow have forgotten. Dion Buchanan wasn't just a box guy. He was a guy that got their coverage set. He was the captain, basically, of the back half of the defense, which is why he was able to adapt to calling defenses so quickly in the NFL. That's not something Jabil Peppers has done. So that's not even a good comparison <laughs> because he hasn't done the things that uh, that Deion Buchanan did. He's not as big as Deion Buchanan. He hasn't as polished as Deion Buchanan. Deion Buchanan was a very finished product as a defensive um, player. Well, I mean, it's basically on what how Terrence Bull want to use him. But, I mean, he's not the athlete or none of them, like you say. Or not the athlete, but... Uh, he's He's just not the player. I mean, he might... He might be able to do some of those things, but there's no proof. <laughs> but my point would be, he's, there's no proof. My issue. He has been. My issue with him is, where does he play? I mean, you could use him as a box safety, but he's not necessarily good. 
as a safety. Well, he's a smallish box safety, if that's what you think he is. Mm-hmm. He's an even smaller Will linebacker, if that's what you think he is. Mm-hmm. If somehow you've gotten it into your head, like I said, if somehow you convince yourself that he's, you know, time on Matthew, which I don't know what that would be based upon. Why would I, 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 keep, I keep hearing people talk about how he's going to do this great job of covering tight ends and stuff like that, but that's based off what? Not based on the fact that he's done it at a high level, because he hasn't. Of tight ends, that's sad news for Jake, but I mean, I mean, that's going to hurt them a lot with the draft position. I mean, he may not even play next year. Well, maybe it's so late. What he is right now at the moment is a nickel linebacker. You know, that's what he is at the moment. And a perfect special teams player, most likely, as well. And they're like, well, he can always play wide receiver or running back. No, that's just a gimmick play. He... There are people who think he's a running back. Mm-hmm. And that would be an interesting... You know, that'd be interesting to see. I guess I mean, it's not impossible. It's well, just I mean, unlikely because... It just it just bugs me how people, like... Let me, let me give you an example. Ty Montgomery, a wide receiver playing running back. I mean, yes, he's smart. He went to Stanford. He knows his coverages and all that. But at heart, he's a wide receiver. It just bugs me when people put him, put him out of place. Well, as I said, to me, he's the kind of player that's kind of a, you know, Patriots. If you weren't Jabril Peppers, if you were, I mean, if you were, you know, the same guy but not a hyped-up player, if you were at Eastern Michigan, not at Michigan, and did the exact same thing, the exact same thing, he'd be a fifth-rounder. And people talk about he's an interesting project. You're right? (laughs) You know? He's a hybrid linebacker, safety, undersized, athletic playmaker, but not really a finished product. He doesn't do any one particular thing terribly well. He's lucky in that he's at Michigan. He was a five-star coming out of high school, and people, you know, like I say, he's very hyped up. But his, but his actual production, which has been negligible, and his actual usage, which has been unusual, you know, um, like I said, those things are interesting and those things are fun, but he's not the kind of player that most teams can afford to take early. I mean, no, unless you think he's an unworldly talent, you don't take him. Well, he may be an elite talent, but he's not an elite football player. I mean, those are two different things. Those are two different things. There are elite football players who aren't elite talents, and there are elite talents that are not elite football players. And the sooner you learn that, the better you'll be at this whole evaluation I mean, there's, thing. There's a difference between people when they say blue chip talent to blue chip players. I mean, there are two different things. I mean, yes, that's what I just said. Yes. <laughs> there are a lot of blue chip players who are not blue chip talent and vice versa. Yes. Drafting the talent Correct. you can't afford to take that. You can load your team with talent who are not simply football players. And, you know, once again, Jim. Jim had to run, but that was the problem that they had for many years with Oakland. They had a lot of blue chip talent. You know, oh, look, we got Fabian Washington, John Jett, and uh, uh, Derek Gibson. I mean, all these tremendous athletes. 
it can play football. Um, oh, a bunch of them. You can keep going if you'd like. But yes, all of them all over the place were just terrific. Uh, Stanford route, right? Just tremendous athletes, all of them. But they, they weren't football players particularly. They didn't have a great understanding or a great feel for actually playing the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of safeties in this class that, I mean, one of them maybe it's worth a first round, maybe two with a first round grade. Well, I think most people have first round grades on Adams and Baker. Baker, but people are already assuming, uh, not an Earl Thomas or something like that, or Camp Chance or something like that. I mean, I've already heard some type of comparison from Seattle. I'm like from Daniel well, the thing he has to come with Earl Thomas is that he's undersized. That would be, you know, and he plays in the same state. You know, that's that's really the two things that that most are similar between Earl Thomas. He's an undersized guy. He plays football in Seattle. That's the safety position. But Sidney Jones on the other corner, I keep forgetting the same problem to play safety. Uh. Based off what? <laughs> like, I was asking. I mean, what what is it that makes you think he's a safety? Like we discussed, I mean, because they don't play it, you can't just put them there. But you can just, I mean, people can speculate on, you know, size traits, but that just gets you in trouble. The thing that usually allows someone to succeed at a high level at safety, one, is they're a great tackler. You know, he's an okay tackler. Two, tremendously high football IQ. I think he has a good football IQ. I don't know if it's you know, outstanding. And you usually look for somebody that in, addition, that in addition to being able to support against the run and be able to get tackled and things like that, when they have to, can get on their horse and, you know, make sure that, that they can be deeper than the deepest. That can erase other people's mistakes. Get people organized, call out, call defenses, learn enough about offensive plays and what teams do on down and distance that he helps his guys to get in the right position to make plays in addition to himself. That's a lot to do. And like I said, I haven't seen any inkling based on what I've seen that tells me he can do that. Now, he may learn that stuff later down the line, I guess. But it's a lot, like I said, it's a lot to assume based on off of, well, nothing, I guess. I mean, I'm not saying he is that, but there's been a lot of players in the NFL after a long career at corner, they've transferred to safety. Yes, and most of them were bad at it. That's what people seem to forget. Uh, A small small number of elite cornerbacks (laughs) managed to do do it at a high level. A very small number did it at a high level. Malcolm Jenkins has had good success. McCourty's had success. And obviously, people like Russell Woodson. Wait, what? Rondé Barber did pretty well for safety. Oh, yeah. Well, for one year at the end of his career, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's not really a great example. I mean, he he was at safety. Yeah, he did did it the last year of his career, correct. He did it once. (laughs) And he was okay at it, yeah. not only really a long career at safety, he did it one year. But he was okay at it, I guess. Right. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's not really a great example. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he did did he was okay at it and he did it for one year. I mean that's not exactly a ringing endorsement. Like I said, there's some guys who've had great success, and I named most of them already. Uh, most of, but most of the guys when they try it, you know, aren't particularly good at it. People tend to forget that part. That's usually a failed experiment in most cases. I mean, think of all the. First of all, think about all the. I mean, we discussed this, uh, I think, two months ago when I was last on. You talk about Sidney Jones, what 6 3 corner really does, and he has done much in the NFL. I mean, you asked what about Sidney Jones? I mean, we talked about him maybe two months ago. I mean, we've talked about him. You you posed the question what 6 3 corner has done. Really, all that well in the NFL. Well, I mean, it's harder to move. You know, the bigger you get, of course. I mean, I mean, well, he, I mean, Sidney Jones is a cornerback, uh, and I don't see any reason that he would play another position at this point. I guess is what I would be saying. I don't, I don't see a reason uh-huh. to move him. So. If it happens at some point, well, I guess we'll find out. But my, I'm convinced until something changes my mind, and nothing has at this point. He's a corner. I've evaluated him as a corner. He's probably going to stay a corner. And I think that's what the NFL sees him as as well. I don't think anybody particularly sees a safety, either based on his tape or his frame or, or his anything, really. Um, we talked about the safety position. Uh, Alabama corner. Name is blanking on me. I think he's a third-year uh, sophomore. What do you mean, Marlon Humphrey? Do you mean? I mean, they've got Humphrey. a few corners, obviously. Um, is, is he declaring, or is he staying in school? We can't. He's not. Well, he's not. He's a, true, he's a true sophomore. No, <laughs> um, I thought about it otherwise. Oh, um, Malik Hooker. I mean, they moved him to safety after one successful season at it, and why is he already a first-round talent? Well, two reasons. Range, right, and ball skills. Uh, People don't care about tackling, apparently, anymore, because he is not a good tackler. (laughs) He gives you zero in the run game. I mean, he is almost a non-participant in terms of run support. It just basically Uh, stands there, just nothing. He's, I mean, I don't want to say soft, but he's a finesse. I guess the term you use. He's a finesse free safety. He's a guy who's deep, you know, deep half. The deeper the better. Um, deep middle, you know, he can do those two things. He doesn't like getting involved with, you know, the ugly parts of football, quite frankly. Uh, so if you are looking for a guy who's going to come up and bust up a wide receiver screen and if not make the tackle, you know, bust, you know, destroy the timing of the play so someone else can, can make the tackle, he's not that guy. If you're looking for, like I said, a guy you can support up against the run, and no, that's not him either. If you're looking for a guy that's going to come over and, you know, blast a tight end and make him not want to come across the middle anymore, no, he's not that guy. He's none of those things. He is essentially a corner playing safety who has really good role, really good range, really good ball skill, and that's it. Well, since we mentioned, I mentioned Hooker, what do you, what's your take on the two Ohio State corners, Conley and the other guy? 
they're okay. I mean, I think there's a lot of hype surrounding them all. Well, cause it's and, on. you know, right, I think there's a lot of hype surrounding them all. I think there's certainly a talent there, but the, none of those are guys I would take early in the first. Um, they're all guys I see more on that late first, early second round bubble, in my opinion. And then that's kind of where I have them, sort of around Cordero Tankersley. But I take Tankersley over them, too. Yeah, I'm not a huge Tankersley fan either. But, yes, I mean, there's... Well, you, Those are players that... I'm sorry, cornerbacks that I like. You really do. <laughs> well, I mean, you also kept telling me Sutton was a first-rounder. So, you know, there's... Personally, if he came out last year, he probably would have been. Based on what? <laughs> I mean, his tape was okay, but it wasn't dominant. He wasn't just, you know, whatever. Um, he was just a Tredavious White would be a first-round talent before he went back to school. Okay. He was better than Tredavious White by far. Oh, well, yes. That's not that's, setting the bar very high. That's what I'm basing it on. He's he's a good player, and I would definitely jump all over him in the second round. You know, I mean, there's lots of teams that can use corners, and he'll have a a job in the NFL. He'll he'll have a nice little NFL career. I'm just saying he's not a guy I would have taken in the first round. That's all I'm saying. But He's got components. He's got things that you like. There's things that I like. I mean, there's things to work with. But to me, the first round, particularly early in the first round, is about guys who have have already figured it out, guys who are ready to come in and be really good right away. You know, Jason Verrett, guys like that. He should have went a lot higher than he did. Yes, right, but people were freaked out about him not being six foot two. Or whatever. Snart done night since then. Derek Snart was picked before him. Well, yes, right, I know. I mean, like I said, I was one of the people driving the Jason Fret trade, so trust me, I remember how it all played out. And I kept telling people that, yeah, sure, you can take some tall, non-productive non-tackler if you want, but uh, I'll take my explosive, super tough, you know, I think super competitive. I think that's what you said about Michael Jordan, too. Yeah, I mean, there's, like I said, there's always, corners a position where it's not hard to find good players. It's great. It's hard to find great players, you know, like because these great players and elite players are always hard to find. There's a lot of good corners in every class. You know, there's fun players to watch amongst the corners and safety. They're all, like I said. Like I'm mentioning again, your Michael Jordan uh, love. He's been beaten and battered this year. Well, that's a guy who legitimately could play safety and has played safety, in fact, in his uh, in his past. And he's seen the field some already in his, you know, obviously early in his NFL career. You know, and he's a guy that, you know, we're not talking about a first-rounder. We're talking about a guy that, you know, is a mid-rounder. So, 
your price is lower, your expectations are lower, and your risk is much lower when you're talking about a guy like that. I mean, then, we, don't, uh, we don't have a Darwin James in this class. Who am I next year? Well, no, no, you don't have a Darwin James in most classes. <laughs> um, that's what people have to realize. You can't make certain players be in a class. You know, you can't hope for or turn and take a look at a guy, what a guy legitimately is, and then in your mind, try to turn him into an elite player just because you wish there was an elite player in the class. So, yes, there's not a lot of elite players, but there's a lot of very good players in this class. Jamal Adams is the best safety in this class, and I, and I don't like him. I don't. I mean, you, you can get a Jamal Adams who can do almost everything you want him to do, but there is some technique issues a little bit, and... I mean, most safeties aren't very good at, you know, deep speed. But uh, there's been times where he's been roasted down the field, which concerns me. Well, I think that you're going to see a lot of safeties, especially the next few years, with the way that both college and pro football are played, who will be very athletic. You can't. Either strong or free, you can no longer have players who can't turn and run and things like that. The, the game has changed to the point where a, a safety, on whether the free or the strong side, is not going to last. College, even forget pro, is not going to last because so much of what goes on in modern offense is about finding that guy who can't cover and isolating him and exploiting him play after play after play after play after play. And that's what I've seen a lot of teams do. Pick on the box safety, pick on the Sam linebacker, pick on whoever it is that you've spotted who can't really cover until, you know, destroy that team or, you know, or they get that person out of there or something. But as I was saying, that's a trend that will continue. You will see yearly, you know, slowly but surely, more athletic safeties, both on the free and strong side. More, a lot of, once again, that some of them will be former corners, you know, but some of them wide receivers. Will, some of them will be former wide receivers, former running backs, right? Whatever position, you'll have to get more athletic ability at the position. You can't just throw a guy out there who could be John Lynch would be in trouble if he were, you know, an 18 year old, 17 year old now because. I mean, he might be a linebacker, a literal linebacker. You know, not just a guy who kind of plays like him, but it, you know, they might actually turn him into a, a Will Backer or Mike Backer, you know, put an extra 10 or whatever pounds on him and boom. Because you don't see too many 220-something pound safeties anymore because of the way the game has changed. Mark Andrews. What is, is he going to be undrafted this year? I mean, he's been injured a lot. This year. Well, I mean, he he's has a chance to be drafted. I, that's another person who I, you know, head-scratcher in terms of their decision to declare, who I think he would have gone much higher next year. I think oh, he would have had... I thought people thought I was crazy, but playing safety was better than Jalen Ramsey at playing safety. Well, lots of people are better. Once again, I'd like to remind you that Jalen Ramsey played six, count them, one, two, three, four, five, six snaps 
his last year at Florida State at safety. So I don't know where people got it in his head that he was going to be this tremendous. Oh, and I actually used that out at Bucky Brooks, and I got roasted by uh, Florida State fans. Well, I mean, he's an interesting football player. He wasn't a safety. He once again he played nickel and you know slot corner, nickelback, uh, nickel linebacker. And I already know what's funny. People already like um, Ramsey Island. I'm like he's he's fine at corner, but dang. Well, I mean he's a good press corner.
elusiveness, agility, explosiveness, even if he doesn't have great deep speed. So, or maybe someone makes up with certain things with power or flexibility. Or There's lots of different ways to be a successful player. It's not all one-size-fits-all cookie cutter. You know, if you want to miss less often, right, that's the way you do it, go about it. You figure out what things allow a player to have a good chance to be successful. So any other players that you particularly like from the Senior Bowl, East West Shrine, like who are some of your favorite players that you're excited about seeing in some of the All-Star Game practices and All-Star Games, Isaiah? Well, I'm excited to see, of course, my quarterback, Sean Watson, who, I mean, he he's not a senior, but I'm surprised he was invited to the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I mean, most of this is just me being a homer. Um, uh, okay. I'm really excited to see some of these tight ends at the senior bowl. I mean, top heavy, you don't see a lot of starting tight ends. I mean, not starting, but uh, you don't see a lot of your Travis Kelsey type tight ends, but I think there's a lot more of those type of tight ends this year. And um, I just feel like it, it's, it will give some of these tight ends that are, you know, seniors and not like one of these big bright starters get a chance to other talents. But I think it helps the offensive linemen a lot, too. No one in particular, but. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm a little disconnected. I sort of just got done in the process of being moving. I'm in Michigan. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, then. <laughs> well, anything else before we close things out, Isaiah? <laughs> Seems like you're kind of drifting. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just... Just got done moving Christmas Eve, so... Okay, excellent. So, so you've moved into a new, a new location? Mm-hmm. Congratulations. More room? Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, I, I, I guess as your housewarming present, I'm going to let you have one, one final uh, question or one final comment before we close things out. What, anything else, any other impressions you may have, whether about a particular class or player or, like I said, all-star game well, collection, anything else? Well, is there a guy that I should watch out for next year? I'm pretty close to... I'm like 10 minutes away from Western Michigan. Um, any guys that I should watch out for next year for the Broncos? Oh, West, next year at Western Michigan? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, as far as I know, Jamari Bogan should still be killing it. I mean, you know, they'll still have um, they'll still have some talent. The cover will be far from bare. They they're other wide receivers. Uh, will both be back. Their their second and third leading receivers, I think, will still be on the team. I don't think they're, you know, they aren't they aren't graduating. Uh, they'll have a couple of pretty good offensive linemen. Uh, most of their defense will be back. I mean, that team as a whole should still be good. I have some family members actually going to the college, so. 
Yeah, I couldn't quite understand what you, the last thing you said. I said I actually got a couple of family members that actually go there. Oh, do you? Okay. Well, there you go. And you might run into Jeff Risden there. Jeff gets a, gets to a couple of uh, Western Michigan games per season as well. Okay. Uh, what have you been working on? Would you like to tell people what you're up to and where they can find and follow your work? Pretty much just my Twitter handle. I've just been kind of posting some my drafts every once in a while because I had a boredom. But I've been kind of busy lately. Um, you probably oh, okay. won't see me for a while because I'm getting ready to start working two jobs. Okay. Uh, are you going to any All-Star games, anything like that? Mm, I don't know, yeah, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I just got here. Okay. Got it. Well, it was great. We had Eric Galco of Optimum Scouting, very special guest on in our first 45 minutes of the show. Uh, we had Jim until about 40, 40, till the last 45 minutes of the show, and then we finished up with, of course, the wonderful Isaiah Fee. Thank you so much, Isaiah, for your time, your talent, and your attention. Uh, tomorrow we'll have a couple of uh, interviews with prospects, including uh, Ruben uh, Demissine. Uh, and I'll be confirming a few others as well. But once again, happy happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Isaiah, and thank you so much for your time, your talents, your attention. Have a wonderful evening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.